0: Hey, welcome to the 306th episode of the Random Podcast from Heck. My name is Tony, and this is the podcast about random things in the world of entertainment, which includes movies, TV shows, and comic books. Big shout-out to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big, humongous supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash heck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. I'm currently going through like my random Silver Age Superman costumes, mostly where he seems to be a bit of a jerk, and, and weird, wacky covers that are like, what the heck is going on? Um, this, uh, last week, what was it? Uh, Superman meets Clark Kent. It was basically, Superman came to Earth, needed a human identity, so he, he finds someone who looks like him, Clark Kent, locks him up in a prison, and takes his identity. Like, what a jerk. And then, and then Clark managed to escape. And comes to him and reveals the secrets. So you can check that out. And sometimes I talk about like older movies or like weird, re- either really cool movies or really weird movies or movies that I embarrassingly haven't seen up until now. But if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash G-Man from Heck and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or three. And that's ko-fi.com slash G-Man from Heck. This week, what do we have? Movie features Insidious, The Red Door. We're also, two episodes of My Adventures with Superman have, have dropped. And it's, it's weird because it's on Adult Swim, but it's not really like Adult Swim-ish so far. We'll, we'll talk more about that. Um, then we have we're gonna do like the the final episode of season six Black Mirror finally getting around to that the season finale of oh my goodness Silo holy crap I just I just want to talk on and on about the the last like three minutes of that it's like oh, holy crap um, then we got uh, another heart heart horrendous heartbreaking episode of the crowded room I mean it, it, I don't even know if I'm gonna be able to, to get to talk about the, the last bit of it. Uh, we'll see. I I think what I'm going to be doing is there's going to be like a lot of pause, record, you know, say something, pause. Uh, and then uh, Hijack, I'm digging that show, Secret Invasion, and um, I think that's it for, for this week. It might be a longer, another long episode. I'm trying to keep them short, but, you know, we have no more silo after this, no more um, Black Mirror. Hopefully that, for, for my sake, that, that'll give me a chance to, actually get get caught up on, on other things um i do want to mention uh just kind of out of nowhere when was it i think it was like wednesday is uh the new new social media app i i never talk about social media i i'm not a i'm not crazy in social media i mean what with the early days of comic vine i mean i was running it all and which is ridiculous you know i was doing the social media i was uploading the videos and editing the videos and just you know but uh there, there's with with Twitter. Twitter's been kind of a mess lately, and I I'm not on there as, as much as like other people. I know some people are on there all the time, just talking people, and that that's great, awesome. I just don't can't do that because I feel like I'm just doing too much other stuff, and it's it's always kind of been like that where I'm I'm constantly having to do the little bits, and and that's why you need a full time social media person. I, I mean, no joke. I mean, the, the, the some some accounts have witty and clever funny things and, you know, that that kind of makes them stand out from whatever they're representing. Like, you know, Wendy's, for example. I don't eat at Wendy's because there's really nothing for me to eat there since I, I don't eat meat. Uh, and, uh, but, you know, every once in a while, you know, they, they crack the jokes. And you got to be careful with it. You know, you can't be too snarky. But, anyways, what I'm getting to Twitter's kind of a mess. And I I like Twitter because that's always been, like, my biggest platform. But I, I've been seeing my, my my Fowler account like dwindle down. And, and I think for a while they like wiped out a bunch of like dead accounts and you know, it's probably people from like the early days of, of Comic Vine, which who knows where they, they disappeared to or whatever. Maybe they just outgrew comics and they're just like, yeah, that's it. And, and just you, know, a lot of people have been leaving lately just because of you know the different politics of, of the site and you know just different things going on. A lot of controversy over what's being allowed to be said and what's not being allowed, and and people are being targeted and and everything like that. So, Instagram Meta has a new. It basically it's 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 like a, a it's like it's Twitter basically, but it's tied to your Instagram account. So it's Threads, and I just bring it up because uh, I have too many Instagram accounts. You know, I I like I have one for the podcast. I have one for, for entertainment fish. I have one for best stuff in comics, which I like never really use anymore. And then I have like my, my photograph one, aside from my G man from heck one. And uh, so I, I decided to you know do this and I kind of like it. What what I, I like is a, a lot of your followers, you can follow like people who you're following and it kind of vice versa. So it kind of brings you back, you know, cause there's been all these Twitter alternatives and the the kind of scary thing is like you're starting from scratch. You know, it doesn't matter how many thousands of followers you may have. You're you're basically starting over, and then it's it's a matter of getting the people who follow you to follow you in this new thing. And and maybe they, it might be a you know no brainer or a given, but then other people may not think about it and everything. So, I kind of like the fact that you know you have people already following you know you can bring those people over and some people you have to, there's, there's some weird thing where it's it's like you're It's like wait i'm following this person how come i'm not following them on threads and then you have to go and, and you know manually do it and, and stuff like that but i i kind of like that it's it's so far you know just a little i've used it's it seems a lot friendlier and again i'm not overly active on on social media because of i feel like all i'm doing is re- trying to read comics I guess what I bring it up is I I, I don't think because with Twitter you know again I I have a, a podcast uh, uh, Twitter which I hardly ever use and and again a, a website one so uh, just too many, many social media stuff so I'm I'm digging it so I'm endorsing threads whatever I I think it it looks like it's cool there's still it's new there's still it's still lacking some features which I'm sure they'll they'll get to it but I I'm 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 digging it so far so. I'll still probably be using Twitter for the majority of things, but I, I, it would be great if, if I could find like my core audience because I and I also I use Instagram a lot. I, I tend to post a lot uh, Instagram stories. you know I, I have like my daily posts that I, that I do, but I, I do a lot on the stories and, and I, I feel like sometimes that's whether it's it's subtle or not, but I, I feel like that's where I really post. Sometimes like personal things that maybe people don't really realize that you know the meaning behind it or whatever, but that's that's how it goes. Now, let's get it. What are we really here for? We're really here for um, the news and that. And guess what? I don't think there was a whole lot, and probably because we had the 4th of July in, in the United States. So it, I kinda had to do some digging because I'm looking, I was like, wait, there's like hardly anything. So I had to kinda like really scrape around to, to find some other things. Uh, Deadpool news. There there's been a, a few things talking about with with Deadpool. We, we saw some like set images where he has kind of a new costume. It's like, okay it's not that much. Like if, probably if you, if you didn't really pay attention, maybe, maybe you would notice, maybe you wouldn't. Rob Liefeld noticed obviously. And you know, he, he posted about it and, and that's the only thing that really drew my attention. It's like, Oh yeah, it, the costume is a little different. So that, that's cool. You know, and you know, there's some, just some random set pieces. But you have to be careful. Cause this is a point where we start seeing things that when these images are released, they're, they're very, they're raw. They're not polished like you know there there's a costume or Ryan or picture of Ryan Reynolds in the costume without the mask on so it's Ryan Reynolds face it's not Wade Wilson's face makeup face and you know that takes away some of the illusion when you see these sets where it doesn't have all the glitz and filters and you know whatever and and sometimes like the costumes are aren't complete aren't aren't sealed or shut or whatever so just just be careful when you see this stuff because it can kind of ruin the illusion which i know that seems kind of silly but but we we have that uh, now, apparently, um, the Hollywood Reporter, so whether this, I guess, this kind of official, if they're reporting it, not necessarily. This could be spoiler, and again, this is a problem. I would rather go into the movie and see this and be like, holy crap. But that's just, it can't happen with with, with today's, everyone trying to be scoopers and, and posting stuff. So, spoiler or not, Jennifer Garner is going to be returning as Elektra, apparently. Uh, so, to, what was that, like 2003 or something like that? I think that that's awesome. Was she the best for Elektra? Maybe not, you know, true to character. I, I really like Jennifer. I like Jennifer Garner now. You know, her her recent Apple TV show was, was, was good. I, I realize I haven't watched, I think, the final episode. Uh, but... Alias, Alias was was a great show. You know, I, I think I came into it like during the second season. You know, I had to get caught up or whatever. So because of her in Alias and in, you know as her as Electra, I'm like, yeah, Jennifer Garner, Electra, kick butt, cool. But maybe she's not the best choice for Electra. So it'll be interesting to see because obviously what we're we're gathering from Deadpool three, there's a lot of multiverse stuff, which I think is cool and funny at the same time. So by bringing Jennifer Garner in. I think that's great. And the other thing is, you know, there, there's the report of Ben Affleck being on set. And so, if we can get Ben Affleck as, as Daredevil, even though we have Charlie Cox as Daredevil, I think that that's awesome and hilarious at the same time. You know, it's honoring the past, maybe poke a little fun at it, but not too much. And, and you know, so you get that nostalgia thing, which is brilliant. And it just, it, 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 it acknowledges that 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 exists, and it's not like, well, you know, now Disney owns all this stuff. All this stuff is erased. It doesn't count. Doesn't matter. So it does matter. It's just, you know, you're you're acknowledging multiverse, and and that's that's one of the great things. Everything is multiverse. It's so annoying, but because we can have things like that, that that makes it that makes it cool. Another thing, <laughs> I I saw this article. Where did I see it at? And I I hadn't heard about this like when it was first posted. was when I was like I'm saying okay, what should I talk about on, on the podcast? And, you know, right before you know, right just like five minutes, ten minutes ago, probably ten minutes ago, I saw this. I'm like, holy crap! It's like, do I want to click this? Uh, so it looks like we're gonna have Gambit in Deadpool three. And again, this is the, the, this was the first I, I heard about it. So when I saw that, I was like, well, that makes sense because. You know, we had Gambit and Wolverine Origins. I was like, "Are we gonna get Taylor Kitsch? I like Taylor Kitsch from, you know, Friday Night Lights. I like John Carter, the movie that like maybe five people saw, and it was it was, it was really too bad because I I would have liked to have seen a, a franchise. I don't haven't watched it since then, but but I was like, how awesome would it be? Click the article, and it came. It was out supposedly. Channing Tatum <laughs> filmed a cameo as as Gambit. Which, again, is awesome and amazing because, as you... I think I even mentioned it last week. Channing Tatum was supposed to do a Gambit movie. And, and you know, it just never happened. And part of part of the... Not necessarily to blame, but the fact that Disney bought Fox and it's like, okay, that's not on our cards right now. That's not what we're focusing on. It doesn't... It wouldn't make sense. And so they didn't do that. So, uh, But also because uh, I, I think Channing Tatum and, and Ryan Reynolds, they... I don't know if they have a, I mean, I'm thinking Channing Tatum and and Brad Pitt because of like certain movies that they, there's been a couple movies where, I don't know, but I I think that's awesome. Now, speaking of rumors and that, so apparently this, I I don't know, apparently Robert Downey Jr. was on the set of Captain America Brave New World. I think the story behind this goes I mean there's no photographic evidence that I know of but apparently I think I think it was someone on LinkedIn posted something I don't know if they posted an image that they were on the set or no close to the set or they, they talked to a security guard random quote unquote security guard who said that Robert Downey Jr was on set the night before so that this person didn't really see them. So maybe the security guard is, like, pulling his leg. And, you know, he was, like, driving a fancy cars around or, or something like that. Now, the weird thing that makes me question all this, I mean, there, there's several things. One, the, the fact that Tony Stark is dead. Spoiler. <laughs> Tony Stark is dead in Marvel Universe. Now, yes, we have that that magical mystery, you know, convenient multiverse But that wouldn't make any sense for Captain America. You know, in your regular movies, you're not going to have that. Um, The other weird thing is, supposedly, they wrapped, like, last week, like, early in the week. Captain America's, like, done filming. So, either one, it's not true. Two, maybe Robert Downey Jr. was in town and just like, oh, hey, there's some people I know still here. I'm going to go, you know, say hi to them or something like that. Three... It could be multiverse, which is I I don't buy that. Four I think is uh, maybe it's a flashback, which uh, I, maybe uh, I I don't know about that. Or um, five I don't know if I, I thought I had something else. I just who who knows who who can tell, and uh, we'll we'll see. So in case it's true, I at least I, I mentioned it. If it's not, we'll probably forget about it. Benedict Cumberbatch was doing some interview thing. And he kind of vaguely said that, that he'll be returning. Some some Marvel capers are in the making for the next year. Because whether he's going to be in the v- Avengers movies or not, it's so weird. It's like, I don't even know what the status of the Avengers is. You know, there's been kind of light mentions of them in, in current things. Maybe we'll find out more in Captain America. But we saw how Multiverse of Madness ended. And, you know, we have the two Avengers stuff coming up. But who knows when that's going to be because of the writer strike and everything. So most like, I have a feeling what he's probably talking about is like, what if? Because, you know, there's Loki season two. I mean, he could appear in there, you know, that that could make sense. He would fit in there. But it's probably going to be what if. If Did he do his, I have a feeling. I can't remember if he voiced Doctor Strange in the first season. That's probably what it is. Same thing, uh, Maria Hill, um, Colby Smel- Smothers mentioned it. She's gonna be returning as as Maria Hill. Uh, she's gonna be in Moon Moon Girl and and uh, Red Devil Dinosaur. I was like, oh, why could I not think? So what does that mean? You know, when does that is that in MCU continuity or is that like a separate thing? And she's just voicing uh, Maria Hill. So you know that that doesn't necessarily mean anything for the MCU. It's just like Phil Coulson or Clark Gregg voicing Phil Coulson in the Ultimate Spider Man, some Spider Man cartoon. I forget which one it was. Who knows? But at least we we have these things, so that makes things fun. Uh, James Gunn <laughs> saying a little bit. It's, also, it's it's like some some news outlets say like every little thing James Gunn says is like here's another news story. Here's another news story. Here's another news story. And, and like what I it was like this song will not appear. And I didn't even click it. I'm like okay, it's an article about a song that is not going to be in. Superman legacy what, what I can believe I, I can fly somebody save me. I mean, I don't even know what I, now I'm kind of curious. And, and then there's, there's another article. Here's more songs that <laughs> won't appear. And it's, it's so funny that the people are focusing on the music just because it's James Gunn and, and how, you know, music such a big deal with gardens of the galaxy and suicide squad too. the suicide squad. <laughs> so I don't know, but the other thing, and I thought this was a given, I I I was hesitant to even mention it now, but someone asked him, "Is like, oh, are we gonna see Superman's origin?" And he's like, "No." He's like, "We've seen it enough, you know." Recently, I thought that that was already stated when it was first announced that, you know, we're not gonna have that because it's been it's been kind of I think it's it's been stated that the Superman is is already somewhat established, kind of established. You know, it's it's not like he's just starting. I don't know. And someone else is like, "How old is Superman gonna be?" And they're like, well, uh, what's his name? Uh, I, I totally forget it. The, the, his name. I think he he's 29 or 30. I think he just turned 30, maybe, last week. So he's like, so Superman's probably going to be in his late 20s, early 30s. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. But like I said, not not a whole lot of news. Uh, Ernie Hudson. Ernie, I don't know if you should be saying stuff like this. He, he mentioned, he confirmed... That the Ghostbusters Afterlife sequel wrapped, but he, he says it's probably gonna be delayed, and he's not really sure you know when it's gonna come out or whatever. And part of it because I think it was because of Rider strike and stuff like that. But here's the thing: I don't think it's his place to state this. I could be totally wrong. And I, I know he kind of I know he did complain that he wasn't given a bigger role in in the first Afterlife but but dude you can't be making announcements you can't be talking on behalf of the studios they can get pissed off and they might be like dude this is why we didn't call you for the first one i i, I could be totally wrong but but we have that it just seems that w- when a movie wraps the the studios should be the one announcing it not you know unless they they'd say yeah go ahead you can you know have your publicist make this statement on our behalf or whatever to draw it. Cause you know, there, there's something when you, the, the lead actor says it, you know, that's like, Oh, that's cool. They're, they're talking about it. And maybe that was the case here, but I didn't get that impression. I, I could be totally wrong, but I guess we'll see. The nun, <laughs> the nun too. There's a trailer for this. I almost forgot to watch this because when I saw, I was like, "Oh yeah, okay, I'll I'll check that out." I didn't I didn't love the first nun movie, and probably now I'm thinking about. It, I never really thought about it. It's probably because of the old timey stuff. I got such a such a thing against the old timey anything. So we got a nun sequel, and I don't. I think part of it I just find find a nun annoying because all she does is like, Rah! you know, it's just. So yeah, we we. we <laughs> I I'm sure I'm going to watch it especially if there's nothing else out that that week but I'm just not not super I don't I guess I take that back cuz you know there's been some other sort of like horror movies there's like some another exorcist movie there's a couple exorcist type movies recently when I there was one not the Russell Crowe one not the Pope's exorcist or whatever that was called there's this other one where the some lady's mom was possessed or something like that I kind of wanted to watch that because I, I see I see the same trailers so many times since I go to movies every week and sometimes they're so annoying I just like try tuning them out and so there's this one I want to see but it opened up the same weekend as something else so I, I never watched it and but now I'm kind of curious but I don't even remember the name of it. Uh, Quentin Tarantino said uh, I forget who, who, who he was talking to. He says that he doesn't see himself making a Kill Bill two or Kill Bill Volume Three after all. So it's like, okay. Because doesn't he have, isn't he just doing one more movie? I don't get this whole retirement thing. I mean, because he's, he's not, like, oh, that old. And, and, you know, he, he seems to, and I would I think he enjoys making movies. You know, he, he's good at making movies. But it's, it's weird that he's just like, yeah, I'm going to retire. Maybe, I don't know, maybe he has other plans. What's, what is he going to do after, I guess I'm curious. Does he play golf? I I don't know I don't play golf. Uh, then um, what about the Purge? So the Purge movies are, are, they're fun to watch I guess, quote unquote fun. So James uh, De Monaco he said that Universal is too scared to produce his extra expensive script for a sixth Purge movie, and because he said that like one of the things that he 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 I don't know if he said to himself or them but like if he came back to do another Purge movie he wanted it to be like something bigger and and more epic in scope. And you know there's a statement about like America and and you know all this, you know, gender and whatever, society and but I, he, it, it, because he wants it to be bigger, it's it's going to cost more. And I could see the studio being like uh yeah, we're not so so sure if if you know we want want to fund that because it's it's so hard with a, a lot of movies recently, you know, not you know like you look at the flash, and you know there's different aspects we you know talk about I, I feel like so, so many certain certain like websites they t- a lot of people seem to be really focusing and targeting like relishing the fact when movies aren't successful. I don't understand that I think you know as if if you're reporting on the entertainment on a news, we want to be supporting we so we keep having stuff to talk about. But to to kind of like like piss all over someone, I mean, it just like what is, what why you know what what is your problem with them, and I I feel like you know Marvel gets a lot to you know because Marvel's been on top, they've been you know super successful you know had several movies making you know billion dollars at the box office, so I I feel like a lot of people just want to like take them down a peg or whatever, and it's not like Marvel is you know bragging about it or anything you know being annoying or obnoxious, but uh it it's just weird cuz you always see the the reports like oh you know 60% box of drop in box office second week that's like the standard it's like it's always like you know high 50% cuz you know people go to first first weekend and i don't know so uh it it would be hard to, like i don't even know how the last purge movie did it was it was a fun movie you know for mindless entertainment which is you know nice to have once once in a while but I I could see if they want to do a sixth one. I mean, that that's a lot. And then to have it be more expensive that, that, that could be asking for a bit because it doesn't matter. You could say like, Oh, this is going to be, you know, a masterpiece of the, the purge movies. Average person is probably not going to care. They're not going to realize that like, Oh wait, they're, they're upping the ante in the purge movie. So we definitely need to go see this. We need to get grandma a ticket too. And, you know, bring her to see this. I don't think, the average person to see that they might be like oh another Persian movie let's go so i don't know um and then the, the last bit of news oh marvel um i love marvel i love marvel comics i love spider-man as, as it's been clear i've been super crazy about the amazing spider-man series lately A press release came out mary jane wins big in her first appearance as jackpot in amazing spider-man number 31 so Humberto Ramos does a design for her costume, which, okay, that that's cool. Uh, and this, this issue is coming out August 9th, just so I don't forget. Amazing Spider-Man 31. So Mary Jane kind of has some powers now, and it, it's been explained. It's just, it's really weird, the fact that, you know, they're going with Jackpot, because we had a character named Jackpot, and I, I forget when, uh, when it was. It was probably, like, uh, it was during the comic buying days. I, I think, like, 2010. I could be wrong, Two thousand around the early 2000 teens and you know we have this redheaded character name's Jackpot and you know Mary Jane you just face a tiger you just hit the jackpot so Mary Jane what what's going on it wasn't Mary Jane no one even remotely close it was just some other redhead in a weird costume calling herself Jackpot and it's like okay so you fooled us haha and now they're like you know maybe we should have done that you know we, we should use that name because we're not using it I I don't know, I I just I don't know what's going on. What I do know what's going on with this is that's the end of the news. So leading into more comic talk. Okay, so at Image Comics we had Blood Tree number six. This is a uh, this is a the the finale the the conclusion. So um it's a miniseries finale. C- could we have more? Yeah, it's possible. You know we have this detective or whatever, and he's been uh that these two detectives have been uh Hunting this serial killer who has been killing victims and their family and putting wings on them—it's kind of disturbing and everything like that. And uh, and then there's like some stuff with the detectives' past and everything like that. So, um, although you know the if the Never mind. I was gonna try to do some fake insinuation. I I don't even want to spoil anything. Or so it was a good series. You you should check it out. And and it's one of those things because it's different. So you can read. You know that that's the last issue. The trade will probably be coming out soon. It's something you don't have to know anything. You know, it's totally new, new universe, new characters. So you can just like check out this like cool detective like you know murder mystery type type thing. Uh, Then there is a I hate this place number 10 and uh so this is okay so i was wondering this is a series finale which makes sense uh they wrap a lot of things up and this was a this was a weird comic weird in a good way because it really kind of with with the second story arc you know it expanded and explained stuff from the beginning from the first first part but it kind of took this like different direction and it's like holy wait where where what you know, cuz it starts off and i know i have mentioned this so many times where you know, you have this these this couple uh, these two women one of them inherits this farm from her aunt who you know who died but there's like the the farm is haunted and you know just there's a message like don't go out at night and stuff like that so you have that whole thing there you know what is out there what you know what is going on here and then the second arc really takes kind of delves into the other woman's, like her, her history, like with her, her father, who was a little unhinged and basically had a cult. And, and then what kind of ties all that together is this bigger, crazier, uh, which I don't even want to hint at it. So it's just like, yeah, it was just really, really weird how you get like almost like different genres, like pu- pushed together and made it, made it really, really interesting. See, Love Everlasting issue nine came out. I don't know. See, this is Too Hip for Love part four. I'm I'm so somehow I got behind on this. And I think because there's this other comic with a similar title that would throw me off, and I was like, oh wait, I'm not reading that one, so I, I didn't read that. And so yeah, I, I I don't even know what's going on there. And because it's part four, I I didn't want to read that. Um, Monstrous, I'm so far behind on that, which I, I'm I'm ashamed of. Uh, no One Issue 4, so 4 of 10. More on this uh, killer and the copycats and uh, mystery, like what's going on and, and everything like that. And, you know, so just what the cool thing about this, you know, this is Kyle Higgins and Brian Buccelato are, are doing the writing. Uh, we have Geraldo Borges doing the art. But the, the, what makes this different, what makes it stand out is there's also a podcast that goes along with this that starts Rachel Lee Cook. And as you know, she is all that, <laughs> and and Patton Oswalt's in, involved with it. So, I, 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 it still kind of blows me away that you have this comic with a podcast with like some serious talent, you know, on on the podcast. So you should definitely you know be, be checking that out. And each issue, it's it's like in real time, so it's like a month goes by in between issues, and you know, find out like what, what's going on and everything like that. So I, I think that that's pretty cool. Phantom Road issue five uh i this this comic is just so weird so this is jeff lemire and gabriel hernandez walta and uh, it, i have no idea what's going on you know we had this truck they picked up this thing and they're transported this like parallel dimension there's these like weird kind of zombie things and they have they figure like well we need to deliver this thing this rock that we be picked up there's something going on with it and and then uh, they they kind of get some more they get some answers as to like what is this thing but then it's like wait what does this really what is going on what does this really mean so just some like f- weird freaky stuff going on there um, I decide to check out Swan Things number one so this is W Maxwell Prince who did Ice Cream Man and haha ha, uh, continues his weird winning one shot formula with his all new multi-artist project that explores the way things end and how also how they never really do swan songs comprises stories about endings the end of the world the end of a marriage the end of a so i think these are all the issues because the first issue this first one is about the, like the end of the world this the preview like next next issue is like the end of a marriage so these are probably gonna be the different ones and then it says along for the writer some comics best and brightest artists the first apocalyptic issue the end of the world is drawn by none other than department of truth's martin simmons uh, further artists endings include casper wind homesick pilots and felipe Andrade, the many deaths of layla star more to be announced so this was an interesting you know like it's the end of the world and you got this guy and his, his mom's like in the hospital and uh you know we do get to see like what the world's like out there and um yeah so it's it's just kind of weird oh wait i just saw torrent issue five came out do i have that i do have that i didn't read that okay i forgot to read that i missed it um i this is a good series let me just read what this one's about this issue um i i do recommend this series this is mark guggenheim i don't think i read this one did i read this no, I didn't. Okay. Uh, oh, it's the end of the story arc. Uh, Michelle Metcalf has lost everything, including her powers. But a hero who has lost it all is a hero with nothing left to lose. The climatic ending to tor- Torrance's critically acclaimed first arc ends in a way you won't expect, and we'll be talking about for months to come. Holy crap! Uh, yeah. So I, I, I really I, I think that that's it's been a cool series. Until Tales of I Hate Fairyland. Okay, this is a five-issue anthology featuring Untold Tales based on Eisner Award-winning writer Scotty Young's best-selling comics, I Hate Fairyland, with stories written and drawn by a stellar lineup of creators. Scotty writes the first issue. Um, I forget who, who did the art. Um, Aaron Conley? And then there's a second story by Dean Rankine. And they, they were fine you know so it, it's it's cool to see young Gert you know back back then and some other random things it it felt like f- for me I, I don't know if i was just like reading trying to you know read faster to you know so i could start recording the podcast but it, it felt like it went really fast and um there were there were okay stories you know yeah. if i never read it does it i mean obviously that that's the problem with untold tales where you can't do anything overly climatic or dramatic or you know something that's gonna be you make a huge massive difference because we already know where the character is after the story is supposed to end. So it it's possible you know there, there could be some you know revelations or cool things but uh yeah this sort of this first one was was um just just okay. uh at DC Comics I had some problems with DC comics this week. So let me See, there's a so now I'm going off off a list. My my iPad's not really working, so that's why I, I, I go off of like I don't even remember what I read. So Adventures of Superman, John Kent. Oh, this is this where, this list I'm looking, and that's the other thing because I usually go off the the list on previews, uh, but DC Comics aren't listed on previews since they aren't distributed by Diamond, so I'm trying to find a actual list on, online which was kind of tricky uh so i might hopefully i won't miss anything adventures at this but this says adventure superman john kent is a six issue series i didn't didn't realize that uh, so this one it's continuing the story with john in the injustice world which it's kind of cool and everything the revisit that because yeah, you know, I, I wasn't huge into the game because of time. You know, I not have time to play it. But reading the the stories that Tom Taylor and then Brian Buchelato did, I mean it was really cool to see these different versions. Uh, the 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 format that they came out, you know, because they they always were or most of them were like digital first, that I felt kind of gave it a different feel for me as I was reading them. It's just the, the way the art was kind of spread out. You know, it was kind of like there, it was, there were some more constraints, which kind of took a little bit away in my personal enjoyment, but the, the stories were interesting. And again, seeing these different versions. So it's always cool to see like, you know, it's kind of like a, what if or else worlds, you know, to see how, how these characters evolved differently. So it's cool seeing Jonathan there, but, uh, things kind of take a dark turn, you know, cause he, he's talking to, to Batman. And, and one of the things that I've always thought about is like, when you have a character going into an alternate earth, they're bringing along their knowledge. So when, uh, Jonathan first meets up with Batman's group and, you know, I think I may have mentioned this was the last issue with like, you know, Batgirl and, and just, cause he like, he, he knew like Batgirl was Barbara Gordon. And and you know he like mentioned it because he he knows their their secrets because on his world, it's it's not a secret to him because they're like family or whatever. So I always find that interesting, like the just amount of damage that that could happen. And this is why multiversal traveling could be dangerous because let's say you are more of a shady character. If you're like a villain or whatever, you go somewhere and maybe on that world, have I mentioned this before? I feel like I have, but maybe in this world, like maybe Batman dies and the world knows Bruce Wayne is Batman. And then you go back to your earth and you're like, Hey, guess what? Um, I I bet you, I have a feeling Bruce Wayne is Batman. And then, or, you know, or if you try blackmailing, you probably get your butt kicked or whatever, but, yeah, so th- this was interesting. Uh, just seeing just the continued angst between Batman and Superman, and, and the fact that like Damien is on Superman's side, and it's just yeah, it's just just kind of a mess. Um, then we had we had Night Terrors. We had a whole bunch of Night Terror books. I don't know how we feel about these. So the, the concept behind between Night Terrors. So what was uh, the regular one called? Uh, First Blood, and. uh we have this new character called Insomnia, who it's weird because he's he's b- behind like the night terrors, the nightmares, and stuff like that. Which inside doesn't I don't really see it in connection, but whatever. So the just we we're getting all these different series. and They're like two issue series, which is a that's 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 always a a red flag when I see it's it's a two issue series. I, th- I think two and three issues is kind of weird. But again, you know, you don't want to pad the story if it's not necessary. So we're getting all these different stories and and most of them, what is annoying for me or unpleasant for me is they're basically like, Oh, here's this character. They're dreaming. They're in this alternate world. Things are all weird and wacky, but you know, it's, it's just a nightmare. So it's kind of like that whole, does this really matter? So yeah, we we get this this setup here. So going through these, um, the Batman one. I'll oh, see now I'm trying to remember, since I can't open them on my iPad. The Batman one it was Guillaume March. I think that one was 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 fine. Oh yeah, I, I'm not gonna be, have a, I'm gonna remember what's what's going on in these issues. Um, Black Adam, I didn't read. Poison Ivy, I I, I just did not care for that one. It's, you know, Poison Ivy living in a suburb, like, you know, gaudy colored suburb with Harley. And, you know, she's like, wait, what's going on? And her neighbors are like, you know, she looks out like there's Batman wearing, he's got his cowl and he's wearing shorts and he's at the barbecue grilling. So it's just like, uh, don't need that. Um, Night Terror's Ravager. I I like this one because there's something about the Ravager character. I don't know what it is. There's something that I, I like about her. And I, I, I don't know what, what it is. I, I think she's a cool character, even though she's just, you know, Deathstroke's daughter. You know, it's just like a, a copy of a character. But I think there's something about her, maybe because she she's like on that border, like, is she good or is she not good and everything. So here she finds herself, you know, trying to save this girl. And there's a there's way, she's like, wait, this girl, your name is Rose? My name is Rose. And, you know, trying to save her, this little girl from... Basically, it's it's kind of like a nightmare version of Deathstroke or whatever. So there's some some interesting things there. Um, the probably the the best one of all these was Night Terror is a Joker. So this is just it, this is a weird and wacky. You know, does this does this one quote unquote matter? Is this one to have any impact? Probably not because they're all dreams. But because I'm pretty sure I, I this website I can't even I can't even click get information out of them. It's like. Is this going to even open up into anything? It was like, Where is this taking me to? But I'm pretty sure Matthew Rosenberg... Okay, here we go. Yeah, Matthew Rosenberg, Stefano Raffaelli... Uh, <laughs> it's a basic... <laughs> I don't even want to spoil it, but the opening pages... I guess it's... I don't think this is a really spoiler. So they're fighting Batman and... Um, oh, I don't remember what happened. Somehow Batman gets hit. They're like on, on a rooftop... And then he starts like, sli- you know, he lands flat on his face and he starts like sliding down the rooftop and they're like, uh, wait, is he getting it? A- and then shoop, he slides up, and Batman's dead. So then Joker is kind of like, w- w- what do I do now? Because, you know, without Batman, that takes all the fun away from everything. And he ends up getting a job at Wayne Enterprises. And the thing is, he he doesn't realize that Batman is Bruce Wayne because he doesn't care about that and and this i like this i like this thing so much better it made so much more sense before he knew that it joker should not know that doesn't whatever so he's like working in an office and, and just so just in a way like it's it's pure like matthew rosenberg like entertainment like it's it's funny but not like too and i mean it, it is absurd but it's not too over the top absurd it's it's joker if like a lot of stuff that we've been seeing in his joker um issues so i i really i i'm kind of against this whole night terrors thing the one shots the main story is, is kind of interesting because I'm, I'm pretty sure uh was, i think joshua williamson's writing the first one and you know he's he likes doing the horror stuff and everything you know he's got a good knack for that and uh you know so things could get dark and interesting but with all these one shots it's just like eh, you know I, I or two two shots i guess i should say so um, Joker was, was a good one. Um, I, don't, I don't. I think I read the first Peacemaker Tries Hard. Didn't the second issue come out last week? Because I didn't read that. And third issue is out now. So I, I don't know anything about that. And then we had Steelworks issue two of six. Um, it's just, yeah, I, I'm not loving this series. And, and part of it is john henry you know he's got steelworks going and he he wants to do away with the need of heroes which i kind of get the whole idea but it's like dude you are one your friends are costume heroes but he's wants to like put i think more of the power into the people's hand you know security systems or whatever or are you trying to you know put the money in your pocket dude and you know so he's being targeted and yeah so it's just it's just a. Uh, Okay for me, okay, you know, not, nothing blowing me away there. Okay, then at Marvel we had Captain America 750. So that right there kind of tells you w- w- what's going on. So this is it's it's like a, a 60 page comic. So you know you'll you'll get your money's worth, but that also means we're going to get a lot of kind of like anniversary stories. So there's a potential to get like some cool writer and artist to tell some stories but in my experience in my opinion often when we get these anniversary issues it's cool to see especially if someone's like like oh man you know here's so-and-so's back they haven't written you know since you know the 90s or whatever you know and it, it's it, so it's cool to have them return but the stories are just it's it, often it's just like it, here's a celebration of why does the is so cool I get that, and I, I'm sure people appreciate that, want that, but it's not kind of what what I want. So this uh, first story here, um, a cup of tea. It's written by Tachi Anyibuchi, which I think is the writer for the, the Sam Wilson Captain America. So Arby Silva does a story, but this kind of backs up a little bit before Sam gets the, his current shield, because you know it's a, it's a newer shield where Misty comes up to him and he's like. I don't want to be Captain America. I can't do this, and and it's like you know, convincing him to do it. I I don't know. Then we had uh, a story by Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly with Carmen Carnero doing the art. This one, it's a uh, this is continuing from the Captain America uh, aftermath of of the the big war and everything like that. So you know, there's stuff going on with like Bucky and Steve and. We see Sharon, and uh, you know Sharon's kind of making a new identity for herself, and you know Peggy's here, and, and you know everything, and it's it's kind of pushing the story further with you know what, what they're going to be doing. So that was fine. Then we have um, uh, just some s- some shorter stories. So we have a story by Stephanie Williams and Rachel Stott, Matt Mia doing the colors. Then there's a story by James Dematteis and Sarah Pacelli. And then there's Then and Now by Dan Jurgens. And then there's uh, one by Cody Ziegler and Marcus Williams. And then there's uh, a, one by Gail Simone and Daniel Acuna. Actually, I don't remember reading all these because it, it seems like all these. So, like I said, th- these, these stories. Hey, did I read this Then and Now? Okay, so like the Then and Now, it's 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 just like flashback stuff. And it just, I don't know. These these things aren't aren't really for me, unfortunately. So what's next? Captain America finale number one. Huh. You have that. Then there's Captain Marvel Dark Tempest. So this is written by Anasenti, and um, it's it's weird. So the the art is by Paolo uh, Villanelli. I don't know how to describe it. When you look at that first page, just seeing Carol, you know, she's sitting at a bar, is she drinking? Cause she does this. Is this? She doesn't drink. Is she drinking? She's not supposed to be drinking. So as so I didn't read this, but when you look at this, it's got some nice art. I, I can really appreciate the art. But there's something about the art and the colors, the kind of combination. It's I I do not understand how how coloring works because I feel like a lot of time. I mean, just like maybe it's like the palette that's used, the the tone or whatever. But there's like certain it gives it like a just a different vibe or different feeling so when i when i look at this first page when i see like just the style of the the way the characters are drawn and the colors this this really kind of kind of screams out almost like 70s 80s feel but it's weird because this is carol in her captain marvel costume something about when, when i was first reading it i'm I think I so here I, I'm, I'm trying to like analyze my thought like why I couldn't continue reading this and and part of it again is because of the time is when I first looked at this I'm like okay this is one of those s- stories that isn't in a current continuity this isn't going to have an impact so while this could be a really cool story it could be like entertaining to read it's not going to have a deep impact like I'm not going to have to worry about this next month. Or three months or six months this is like a self-contained story that's telling you know whatever fleshing out this this corner so i I think i'm i'm thinking that's my reasoning I'm, i'm trying to analyze myself and because of the sake of time where this is something that i will i would like to hopefully remember to read when i have some you know quote unquote free time but when i'm rushing to try to read everything so i can record this and get it ready to go and all that I think that's that's what, what happened. That's my, my thinking. Daredevil issue thirteen. So this is continuing with the fact that Daredevil is dead. He's you know trying to go to like hell, or whatever. He wants to say foggy and others who have been killed in the recent battle. <laughs> um there's at one point something bad happens to Daredevil. Uh let's say uh, he uh he loses he loses an appendage can I? Is that too revealing? It's like holy cow. Where 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 are you going to go with this? So uh, th- this is this. I'm I'm scared and concerned. Like when when Chip Zdarsky leaves, cause it this has been been good. You know, there's been some things i haven't been super crazy about, but you know, Marco Chachetto's art has just been great. You know, Matthew Wilson with the colors. So I I've, I've really enjoyed this run, even though I'm not super crazy about the entire story. You know, but I have been like really, really, really enjoying it, which if that makes any sense, I think part of what, what is, you know, the whole like bearded Daredevil, um, you know, married to a lecturer, you know, joining, uh, you know, fighting the hand. It just seems like a bit much where I, I want Daredevil a little more grounded, but obviously this is a grander scale of things. So it, it's been, you know, really interesting. Then we have Doctor Strange issue five. Uh, so it's Jed McKay. I'm enjoying this but part of it is i i don't really like this story i guess i'll I'll say that so we have you know dr strange is back he's with clea which is cool because i i never really cared not that i i didn't care for clea before i just i was just never really into her character and and i hadn't really read a lot of issues with her because you know i was never like a old school huge you know dr strange fan but i i really like her now uh whether it's it's Jed McKay, the way he's writing her, you know, because she's, she's a pretty fierce character. And, and so I have a lot of respect for her, just, you know, what, what she's capable of doing and, and how, you know, what she's willing to do and, and, and so forth. But then we have the marriage of her mother. And yeah, so I, I think that, the, that there's these other characters that aren't really appealing because they're not good. They're not nice characters. So I, I think that's kind of making it a little eh, a little harder to read, but... There's some interesting things that you know should be uh, read if, if you're if you're into Doctor Strange and all that. There was another Edge of Spider Verse issue. I did not read this. Um, oh, there, there was one. Oh no, I take that back. There was an an Aranya story by Alex Segura, who who's a, a nice guy, and uh, and I I love um, Anya Corazon. I, I read that issue, but the other ones I, I didn't like. So that that was a good story with, with Anya. I I think she's severely underrated, and I, even when she she came on when she first came on the scene, I, I feel like she came out of nowhere, and that, that was just a really fun series. And it was a little like separate from the whole Spider Man corner everything. You know, she she did her own thing, which was cool. And it's you would think by bringing her closer into the Spider Family, the Spider Verse, that that would mean more for her but for some reason it's like the opposite has happened which is just weird um, there's Extreme verse, which I man, looking at the cover no way you know I, I think I said before is like yeah you could pay me to read I don't know if you could pay me to re- read this, this series because it's just no offense but I just I just I I cannot stand this all the symbiote stuff it's oh man um, Fantastic Four issue nine so this is continuing uh where reed and um, ben have been brainwashed or manipulating possessed by th- this evil thing so it's up to <laughs> sue and johnny and uh what was it Flamo? he's made like a, a flame duplicate of himself and uh, alicia they have to try to, to stop this and uh, so this, this this has been a a, a good series I, I've been enjoying this and if, when it first started off I'm like where, where I don't know about this but uh, Ryan North has, has been doing some some cool things here then we have a uh, spider-man issue 10 I feel like I missed something because it was like midnight you know Tuesday where I are you know Tuesday night Wednesday morning and Dan Slott had posted it, like, oh, people are, you know, spoilers are out there, so you know, make sure you read it first, and because you know, people like to spoil things. So I was like, oh, I I should probably read this, uh, you know, as soon as I can. Um, I I don't know what the spoilers were that he's talking about. There is one thing that that happens, and I will just say there is one thing that Spider Boy does. That's the only thing I can think that would be the spoilers. So it it's basically. Uh, another it's like an ability to, he has like a, a, a power that's different than what spider-man has so maybe that's what people were talking about spoiling because I guess it's a big deal it, you know it is, is something different so we, we have more on you know spider-man trying to he's trying to fight a lecture here but he recently amped up his spider sense and because he's like if, if I can sense everyone's danger I can save people so not just his so it was amplified and he could feel when people are nearby are in danger the problem is it was like overwhelming because he could feel everyone's in danger everyone's uh, you know the, the threat against everyone it got to the point where some guys were, were robbing a place or uh, electrodes like henchmen and spider-man was having a hard time fighting them because he knew like as he's about to hit a thug, he's, his spider sense is going off on behalf of the thug who is about to get hit because he's about to inflict his pain. So it's just like things like that. And uh, Norman's like, you know, we got to negate this. And Spider-Man's like, no, no, you can't do this. And, and then Spider-Boy's like, wait, you're working with Norman Osborn? And, and he's trying to help him too. And, and Spider-Man's like, what? I don't have a... And, and he addresses a thing. He's like, I would never have a sidekick. What are you talking about? I would put a kid in danger. So... Um, that makes it kind of interesting to see like, like what, what's, what's going on here. (laughs) Thor annual, who is mythos? Uh, I don't know if any spoilers for this came out, but (laughs) mythos is like, what the heck is going on? Uh, I, I'll just say it's someone with like a big head and, and it's like what I don't understand what's going on. And it's, uh, it's supposed to lead into the Mortal Thor. There's a Mortal Thor th- series coming out. I always said theories, theories, Mortal Thor theories. I I don't know what's going on with Thor lately, uh, and I just mean that. Uh, yeah, I don't know about the direction. So we'll see. Uh, <laughs> venom twenty two came out. I still can't get over this this red symbiote Venom, and and part of me I just I'm I'll be totally honest with you right now. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know who does Red Symbiote Venom. I kind of forgot. I knew I saw when he came in. I don't think it's Dylan because Dylan has a regular Symbiote. So I think the Red Symbiote is Eddie because Eddie kind of came back, even though he's a King in Black and whatever is going on. It's I don't even understand. I don't even want to understand. And uh, so I'm looking at this cover. It's like who the heck is? Wait, he's fighting Hydra. What is going on? Oh, now I'm really kind of tempted, but I don't want to. Until recently, Eddie Brock was a symbiote wearing webslinger known as Venom. But when Eddie seemingly died, the Venom symbiote passed to his son, Dylan Brock, who also somehow aged like five years or ten, almost 10 years, maybe something like that. Um, even after it turned out Eddie was alive, Dylan kept the symbiote. Now Dylan is Venom and searching for his father. Eddie's absence has left Dylan with some pent-up aggression, which he recently unleashed on Norman Osborne. On top of that, a ghost from Venom's past has been awakened. A symbiote from World War II made of living rubber. The indomitable Flexo. Oh, boy. Yeah, so I'm not reading that. Then there's Venom Lethal Protector, which I would like to have been reading this, but... It's it's a matter of time because it's David Michelini. So uh, at some point, maybe I'll go back and read that. Uh, X23 Deadly Regenesis. I have some some issues with this cover. If if you look at that, you got the, the. I hate the Kingpin. I think he is such an annoying character that he's this guy. He you know he doesn't have superpowers. He's just really big and he's not super fat. He's just really bulky and so you know he does have a lot of muscle with some fat I guess, but he's a super strong guy or not super strong. He's a very strong guy. But the fact when you look at him like grabbing um, like holding uh, Laura down, it's like his hand is the size of her torso which is ridiculous that your hand could be like that massive. It's like, what is he a giant? So aside from the fact that he's just such an annoying sleazebag and he's just so arrogant, he thinks he's so untouchable. And then we have this, this Kimura character, which I can't stand her. And part of it is because of the way she's treating and using Laura. So I think this is the last issue, which is too bad because I, I kind of wanted more. I really liked Laura and, yeah, this was just um, not quite, but almost there. Then we have X Men Twenty Four. This, uh, uh, yeah, this was was okay. Uh, there's some interesting things. That, you know, Cable's trying to do some stuff, and uh, we have some some Moira and uh, what's a um, what's the other Mister Sinister? Um, he's he's there, so they're they're trying to stop him. I forget what his his name is whatever there's just like little things so I, I feel like in, in part this is kind of like well the Hellfire Gala is coming up so you know we're we're just kind of stalling for time because like Jean is talking about you know she kind of wants to take time off for, actually you know, she wants to lead the team you know she's talking to the Scott that you know because she's like well you know if, if you're not on the team still you know you can come with me or whatever so I don't know well, I, I, yeah I just feel like it's just kind of kind of waiting we'll see then there is a x-men to sinister four i just i don't care about mr sinister just because yeah i didn't read all of that sinister stuff and i thought it was all done but we have more here and maybe i should be reading this stuff but it's just hard for me to go into it because i just i don't care for mr sinister you know he was fine when he you know first came out and you know the the insinuations of what he may or may not have been capable and been doing was always interesting, but I just don't care for him. And now the fact that there's could be like four of them and, you know, is this sinister that we've seen recently seed original or is this other guy the original and then okay or care, whatever the group is. I just don't even care. So uh, there we go. So, and again, and of course with that, that I, I hate wrapping up comics and such a poo-poo attitude because I do like comics, <laughs> but I just don't like Mister Sinister. <laughs> so that's gonna be comics for the week. All right then, Silo, season one, episode ten. Outside. Holy crap! <laughs> like after I, I watch this episode, I'm like, I need to talk to someone about this, and I didn't have anyone to talk to about this. Uh, now that I'm on summer break got no one to talk to about this in person so i am talking to you about this this uh, this is crazy uh, i still haven't listened I, I should just finish the book now I, I don't even know how much more i have left but uh, i'm really curious and th- i don't even know how many books there are i it's so tempting to to go further all right let's just get into it so last episode uh, juliet and the the two guys they open the computer file and they're looking at the, so they're staring at the, at the screen that's showing lush tree, green hills, blue skies, birds flying. And, it, and it's like birds flying in a V formation or anything. And, and she's like, we're being lied to. Everyone has to see this. And uh, I think it was Patrick's like everyone who, and she's like, would it be possible to get this up on every computer? And the other dude, I don't, I don't know if they ever said his name. Uh, he's like, no, I mean, It's not possible. He's like, all the computer screens are controlled by IT. There are signal boosters in every you know 30 levels. And she's like, which is uh, the lowest one? She's like, I I need to get out of the the up top and to the mids. He's like, there's one on 126. She's like, great, we'll go there. And he's like, no, wait. He's like, there are security teams in every level. And unless I'm mistaken, they're all looking for you. She's like, I can get us there. So Patrick's like, all right, you, you can, you know, just just go and give me to watch. And she's like, no, you're coming with us. He's like, like hell I am. She's like, you asked me for a computer guy that who could do tricks. I got you a computer guy. And she's like, as good as he is, Bernard is better. And he's going to trace it back here. He's like, do you want to stay? So then Patrick, the, I think the guy's name is Danny. Um, so he, he asked him, he's like, he's like, is that true? And he's like, yeah. He's like, fudge me. So then uh, the monitor guy... <laughs> In the, the big TV room, you know, he's like, I got it. It's on, it's an apartment on 22. It's assigned at Patrick Kennedy. So Sims radios. She's like, all Raiders are 22. So Bernard asks Sims, like, is he a friend of hers? He's like, I I thought you, you checked all. He's like, no, he's not a friend, but she did save his life. So then, um, Ar- Armandson, um, Armundson, that's uh, the lead Raider guy. He orders him to knock down the door. And it's like, they don't even bother checking to see if it's unlocked. And it when they hit it, it swings open and you know, it doesn't get knocked down. So, but it's like if there are limited resources, why would you want to break down a door that you know eventually someone else would probably use that apartment? It's just whatever, stupid. So Patrick's actually around the corner, and I think a raider kind of sees him. sees someone there, but then Julia takes him to the garbage chute, and there's like ladder rungs inside, uh, you know, on, on the sides of there. It's a good way to get around. It, it just it one that seems weird. Why would there be? Ladders inside the garbage chute and why does no one else know about this? So then Sims tells Bernard that they've searched the level that she's not there. And Bernard's like, She would have been seen on the stairs. Like, where is she? The monitor tells Sims that a message came through while he was away from one of his agents. So it says during the search of Juliet Nichols' apartment, Deputy Paul Billings approached and requested entry. It was denied. And Sims walks up. And he goes to the sheriff's department, to talk to Billings. Then he's like, Deputy, yeah, this is all my fault. When I sent you home, I thought it was clear. I expect you to stay there. Was I not clear about that? He's like, he's such an annoying bully. And, and plus the fact, I mean, no offense, but Comment's not not the best best actor. He's like one of the things that I did not like about the, the John Wick movie that he was in. It's just like, anyways, so he's just, he's just, he's such an, the character is such an annoying bully. And Billings, you know, he's like, was it not clear about that? He's like, no, you were. Yeah, you went to Nichols' apartment. You think because you taught her a class on a pack, a raider wouldn't tell me? He's like, no. Well, why did you go to Nichols' apartment? And Billings like, I thought if I could find out why she said she wanted to go out, I might be able to find her. Did you find anything that gave you some insight? And Billing's like, no. Did you find anything that might explain why she had you arrest me the other day or why you agreed to it? Did you find anything that might explain why she went to my, my apartment threatening to kill my wife and son? It's like, okay, you're like a little exaggerating, you know, hypersensitive here. And, and when he says, kill my wife and son, he picks up a chair and like slams it down. <laughs> he's like, my wife and son. He's like, hits it like twice. It's whatever. Then he's like, deputy. I can't help but notice your hands. You're holding your right and your left. Why is that? And it's like totally shaking. So uh, I think the, the secret's out. So Juliet and the two dudes exit the, the garbage chute. Patrick's ups, upset because he almost got hit by trash or something like that. Then Danny takes him to the signal booster. And Patrick points out there's a camera like up there. And he wants to smash it. Danny's like, you know, where, wherever camera goes dark, they'll send raiders. Juliet's like, well, they're going to send them as soon as you plug in the hard drive. So, you know, like, what's the point? Monitor guy notices the drive just popped up on 126, and Bernard's like, "Where?" And he's like, uh, "At our hub." He's like, "Go get Sims." And Bernard's like, "Sees him on the camera." Danny says that they found him. Um, Patrick's he's like, "Fine," and he smashes the camera. So Sims says that they've radioed um, Karins, the, the other deputy from the, the Mids or whatever. She'll be there in five minutes. Then the monitor guy's like, "Oh poop! They're linking screens." Then all the screens change to the menu from like what when they're loading up the hard drive. Julie puts on the video. All the monitor people see it, and and you see there's like looks of awe on their faces. And stupid Bernard's like, "Shut your eyes! Shut your eyes! Turn around! Cover your faces!" Most do it like right away. Sims has to like tell one guy to, to do it, and then Bernard's like, "You too, Robert." And Bernard like sits at a keyboard and he starts like typing, and he initiates a shutdown, and all the screens turn off. But he's like, like, close your eyes. <laughs> it's like so stupid. They saw it. Julia's like, what happened? Did they shut, shut it down? And Danny types, or he's, you know, he's typing something. And then the signal comes up on a screen. He's like, they have shut everything down. And she's like, what? She's like, fudge. And Patrick's like, it's it's over. Go. Julia tells him to go with Danny. And then she starts in, in the other direction. And then he's like, what about the watch? And she's like, Are you fudging kidding? And then then she like leaves. Bernard. Slowly turns around and uh, starts talking to the sheep. He's like, What you have just seen, you will unsee. She's like, Give me a break. And you know, they still have like their faces and and you know under their, their hands. Karen's radio is that they have two men in custody, so I'm assuming that's Patrick and Danny. Then Sim's like, What about Nichols? And Karen says that they have the the level on lockdown, they'll find her. And Sim's like, Yeah, we've heard that before. Then Bernard's like, She's smart and she's brave. You know, she's not a 126 anymore. You know, where is she? Then Bernard magically figures it out, because he's so smart, she's in a trash chute. That's how she's getting around. It's like why would he know that? And how would he know that there is a way that there's ladder rungs in there? Unless he's because why would he have ever actually looked in the garbage chute? <sighs> so Juliet's climbing down, then Karen opens a hatch um several levels up. She radios that she sees her, and then Sim radios the recycling. Get anything heavy because like sims is just like he's like off the rails i mean he's he's it's just like so personal for him he's just like just, just not, not good some deputies come with like carts of trash and karen's yells out she's like Nichols, exit the next hatch she's like i've been told to knock you out of the chute so they they load up the inside like the, the door of the hatch because it like swings down or like opens down and then they just like you know close it so that then the stuff dumps it into the chute then Juliet like almost gets hit. She has like she kind of swings the side she's holding with one hand. Sims arrives and asks like you get her, and Karen's like, "Oh, well, I'm not sure." And then he points this big hunk of machinery. He's like, "Make sure." So basically, he's like, "Like kill her," is, is what he's he's saying. Juliet is climbing, and she sees like a big hunk. It's almost like a big like air conditioning, but it's like bigger than air conditioning. It's this big, m- massive hunk of metal that's getting pushed over, and then she lets go. And she just, like, falls down to shoot. It's Like, I don't even, they're like, what, what are they, 126? But then at, at the bottom. So, it starts, one of the things that, I don't think I know if I ever talked about it. So, it's interesting. I would think, it, when, I, when I first started watching the show and then listening to the book, I would think, like, the ground level would be, like, level one. And then, you know, just like when we, like, buildings. But it's the opposite. So, I guess the tippy top is actually one, two, three, and it goes down. And I forget how many levels there are. So she's on one. What was it again? One, one twenty-two or one twenty-six or whatever. So she she falls. She let lets go, and then she falls on top of a pile of trash at the bottom. There's some scavenger. They see her. She's and she's unconscious for some reason. They pull her away. Split second before the big huge hunk boom lands where she was. And then we see the next scene, Juliet's being tended to. Hank tells Shirley, he's like, you should have come to me. And she's like, what would you have done? He's like, well, I wouldn't have brought her here. And Shirley's like, well, where else are you supposed to take her? Knox walks in. He's like, judicial is here. And Shirley's like, how did they know she was here? And Knox is like, I told him. And he's like, there's nowhere we could have, you know, we could hide her that they wouldn't find. They'd tear mechanical apart. Everyone in Down Deep would pay the price. And Shirley's like, you a-hole. And then Juliet, like, she starts waking up. She's like, no, he's right. And, you know, she tries, she can barely, like, sit up, whatever. And she's like, before you let him in, I need a minute with walk. And Knox's like, well, I'll try. And then they all leave the room. And then Walk's like, all things considered, it would have been better if you'd stayed in the midst with your dad when you were 13 years old. And Juliet's like, Walk, listen to me. There are things I need to tell you, Okay. But then I don't know how Sims and Bernard got there so fast. Maybe she was out for a while. But then Knox like one minute please, and Shirley gets like in Sims' face like she's not going anywhere. Then a raider slams Shirley against the wall, and then Hank tries like stopping it. He's like hey, and then Sims and Bernard like walk in a the room. They just like forced her way in. Sims orders walk. He's like you leave, and Julie's like she can't. He's like shut the fudge up, and then Julie's like she hasn't left in twenty five years. I said shut the fudge up, and Bernard's like Rob. And then Tawak, he's like, you over there now. And then stupid Sims, he's like, because he's, he's so cool and everything. He's like, if we were alone, this would go be going very differently right now. So it's like, basically, what is he saying? That he's going to beat her up? He's like, oh, you're a big man. And then um, Julia's like, I wouldn't have hurt your family. My son keeps asking if the scary lady is coming back. It's like, okay, when would he keep asking that? He asked one time, one time he keeps asking that. You are so full of crap, Sims, Robert Sims. You are full of crap. Go to the bathroom, flush yourself because you're full of crap. You are so full of crap. (laughs) And she's like, well, how many families do you think ask the same about you? Do do you know what I do? Do you? (laughs) Yeah, you scare people. You're a bully. That's what you do. And (laughs) so Bernard's like, Rob, Rob, he's like, wait outside with your team. And Bernard puts down the the hard drive, and he says, Juliet, if you'd done what you wanted to, you would have killed everyone in the silo. And Juliet's like, people can handle the truth. And he's like, I wish I shared your optimism. And he smashes the hard drive with a hammer. He's like, I'll have to put you in shackles. And she's like, so I don't run again? He's like, it's really more for show. He's like, I have a proposal, a deal for you. In order to prevent rebellion and severe judicial repercussions for your friends down deep, I need you to stop saying you didn't ask to go outside and waive your right to a judicial hearing. Then she looks at walk and then she nods and she's like, just tell me what happened to George. He's like, if you cooperate, I can do better than just tell you. So she's taken in shackles. Her friends are like watching her leave. Um, and you know, she like looks at the metal grating over the fan thing where George fell, you know, still dented walk and Shirley talk later. And Shirley's says that, you know, she wishes she had talked Juliet out of, um, going after the heat tape when she ran out uh whatever and she's like that's what pissed him off up top and walks like i'm sure there's a long list of things juliet did to piss him off Shirley's like well i'm gonna go back to the control room and you know she wants to continue giving nox the silent treatment walks like he didn't have a choice and Shirley's like yeah he did you know he's like we all have a choice but the thing is what they don't know i don't know if they all know about that secret room where juliet or the secret level the tunnel that that juliet took Holston and where she and George used to hang out. I mean, if if they knew, they could have taken her there. They would have never found her, but I guess they would have still tore the place up looking for her. So Juliet's brought up the stairs and people are staring. There's this like a little girl who kind of smiles at her because she th- thinks she's a sheriff. You know, she doesn't know better. Walk, grabs some heat tape, and she takes a st- you know a step out, and, and and she's like breathing heavy, and she shuts her door, and she's like grabs onto the door frame, and then uh, then she's. You know, she's like feeling it, whatever. Then she she walks slowly, and Hank Caesar is like, like Walk, are you okay? What are you doing? And she's like, oh, I'm just getting some air. So Julia keeps going up. Then she asks for some water, and she like kind of spills some. I don't know if she did it on purpose, or maybe it's because she had the shackles, and the shackles are heavier. I don't know something like that. Bernard actually helps her her drink, which was like okay, that was nice. Walk goes to this lady's place, Carla, which I, Carla's her her ex wife, and then. Carla's like, surprised to see her. She's like, oh, never <clears throat> expected to see you appear again. And, and walks like, that makes two of us. She's like, so how are things in supply? And she's like, what? She's like, wait, does this have to do with nickels? This is about that fudging heat tape? And walks like, it is. And Carla's like, you know that stunt of her, you know, hers brought judicial down and, 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 you know, all that. It's like that that head of IT a-hole, the one who became mayor. And she's like, why do they care so much? And he's like, your tape is way better than theirs. And the walk's like, I know, it doesn't make any sense unless it does. So it's like, what's up with the heat tape? They get to a level and Bernard's like, like, stop, unlock her and leave us. So it's like, oh crap. Is he going to like make her quote unquote jump? Like, oh no, she tried escaping and, and she jumped over. Sims like nods to the Raiders. Then he's like, if she tells anyone what she sees, we'll have to bring them in. And then... Bernard's like she won't it's like we made a deal so they walk down the corridor they go into the janitor's closet she's like what are we doing here he opens the secret door follows Bernard sees all the monitors and all the the viewers like staring at her then Bernard says like I know this is a breach of our protocols but I'm making an exception for the sheriff before she cleans and then Sims like put on the surveillance of George Wilkins on the stairs it's like she looks at all the screens and she whispers. She's like, we never had a chance. And Bernard's like, no. So then that one monitor guy's like, how much do you want to see? And Bernard's like, go to where they stop. And he's like, volume. So George is being taken up by a raider. He asks for water. And is, he's like, we believe he deliberately stopped in front of a camera. By then, he knew what they looked like. And so he like headbutts the raider and he's sitting on the railing. The, the, the raider's like, don't do anything stupid. And George is like... Take one more step and I will be very stupid. And the raider's like, what, what do you want? And George like, you were ordered to take me alive. He's like, yeah. So someone could torture me until I gave up the hard drive and the people I worked with? It's like, no, they just want to talk to you. He's like, you're not a good liar. Oh, well. And then he puts his, his hands on his heart. And he leans back. And the raider's like, no. And Julia just like shakes her head. And she's like upset because she just saw the, the man that she loved kill himself. My question is, you know, when when I when I was watching this, we don't get an answer and I don't think this is the case. But I'm thinking uh, I guess that, you know, you would need someone to do this. I was thinking, you know, if if they're manipulating data or just the the video, you know, if if there's they're seeing this fake imagery outside or, you know, whatever is is a situation, it's almost like do they have like some sort of like AI you know computer software is that they could just like like fake it because like when um when allison went out you know she cleans uh, the camera and she starts walking and then she stumbles and falls did she really do that or did she you know walk off out, out of the camera range so my thinking was how how do we know that there's not like fake video but i guess why would they necessarily have the fake video made unless that anyone ever questioned it i don't know so then she's staring at the outside screen, so she's being measured for her outside, like her cleaning hazmat suit thing. Bernard tells the monitor room, here um, he answers the monitor room, and then he asks Sims, he's like, you know, how, how are they doing today? And, you know, talking about his family, he's like, oh, everything's calm. And he's like, hasn't been this quiet since Holston walked. Then Bernard's like, Rob, I was rash when I said I was worried about you being my shadow. He's like, tomorrow, when Nichols is out on the hill we'll have another discussion, okay? Julia's sitting in her cell, then she's visited by her father, and he says that he thought that, you know, she wouldn't be eating, so he baked her something, and she's like, oh, I'm okay, I don't have much of an appetite, and he opens a pot, he's like, remember what we said when you were little? And she's like, yeah, at least one bite, so she takes a bite of the food, and she's like, mom used to make this, and then she's like, Dad, I'm sorry I blamed you for everything. He's like, no, no. He's like, we should have talked about it a long time ago. She's like, Jules, honey, why would you say you wanted to go out? Was it something you know I could have done? And she's like, no, I didn't. I And then she stops because you know, there's a camera in there and like in the cell. Then she's like, she changed the subject. She's like, I didn't know you're such a good cook. It's, it's really good. And he's like, not bad for an old guy, huh? In Bernard's office, Lucas is brought in. And Bernard says that, you know, Owing in part to his cooperation, they have Juliet Nichols in custody. And so he's, then he, um, Lucas is like, well, what's going to happen to her? And then Bernard's like, I'd be more concerned about what happens to you. And Lucas like, I helped you. And Bernard's like, yes. And in recognition of that, you will not be sent out to clean. No, you will go to the mines 10 years, which is a shame because you have so much talent, so much natural talent. So much intellectual curiosity. To sit in the cafeteria night after night alone, watching the lights in the sky, you'll see no lights in the mines. Maybe 10 years of hauling iron ore will set you straight. So it's like, all this because he didn't report a heart. It was like, it was a, a red level relic security threat. And it's like, where's this list that, like, if you see this, you. Again, bullies. This dude's uh, carrying this like this box of spools. It's like sensor wool or something like that, and there's like rolls in there. I think it was like uh, there's rolls of, of tape or something. It's, it's like wait, that that seems like a lot for one thing. But I, I guess they're just bringing it up to the fitting or something like that. Shirley visits uh, Juliet with with food and says she's like everyone keeps bringing me food, but I'm not really hungry. And Shirley says, well, it you know if if you eat it all, maybe you won't fit into the suit. <laughs> then she's she's like. You got to taste at least one. She's like, no, I don't. Then she's like, you should take the whole box for luck. And surely, like, you know, they like lock eyes and she takes it. They say to her goodbyes. And Julia says, you know, she's okay. And she turns her back on a camera and she like looks in the box. There's a folded note. And it says, you wanted the truth. The truth is, I love you. Have no fear. They're good in supply. And it's like, what? Have no fear. They're good in supply. Um, Billings' wife says that you know, she's just put her kid down, and Paul's like, "Cat, like, there's something I have to tell you." Sims knows I have the syndrome, and she's like, "So what does that mean? Are you fired? Do we have to move?" And it's like that's all she cares about right away. You know, she's already gonna have to move, and he's, she's like, "We," he's like, "We don't don't have to move, and I'm not fired. The mayor and judicial are gonna grant me an exemption." And then he like takes her in his arm, but he has this like heavy look on his face because. Okay, what's the deal? You know, what deal did he make to to, to keep this? So later, Bernard visits Juliet. Billings opens the cell. And he's like, thank you, Sheriff. He's like, do you mind giving us a few minutes? And Billings is like, Mr. Mayor, if you don't mind, until it's official, I really... He's like, I know, I know. So he leaves. And Juliet's like, oh, he's such a stickler for the rules. He's like, I can't officially swear him in until... And she's like, till I'm dead? And she's like, he'll make a, a great sheriff. Probably it should have been him from the beginning. And Bernard's like... Do you regret taking a job? And she's like, not at all. And he's like, you could, you know, be still being mechanical, tinkering with the generator. Like tinkering. It's like, nice. And he's like, I want you to know, I take no pleasure from from this, any of it. Then she's like, so quit. He's like, I think about it at least once a day, but I don't want to burden you with my troubles. You you once asked me when your trouble started. And she's like, when I stole the fudging tape. And he's like, no, your trouble started at conception. Your parents weren't supposed to have children, but accidents happened. And she's like, so send me outside. That's your way of putting things right. He's like, hardly. Every human life is of value. You've been a great service to the silo. But once you became sheriff and you started to look into Wilkins' death, and she's like, I outlived my usefulness. He's like, you became a mortal threat to our survival. And she's like, to our survival? You know, if this place needs the death of George and Johns and Marnes, and the sheriff and his wife, there's something very wrong with this silo. It's like, you know what? I don't want to be of great service anymore. He like sighs. He's like, you were an engineer. You watched the gauges day and night. And if the pressure got too high or too low, you made adjustments because if you didn't boom, he's like, well, I'm an engineer too, but instead of a generator, I keep the silo running safely. When Allison Becker and George Wilkins opened that hard drive, unless adjustments were made, it was just a matter of time before everything went boom. And then Julia's like, was my mom one of your little adjustments? And he's like, that was her choice. And she like, he shakes her head just like a tiny bit. Like, you know, I don't think she believes him. And she's like, but you know, the display is a lie. So why don't you just tell people that it's okay to go outside? And and she's like, how about the, the door, the massive door made of steel at the bottom of the silo that George found? Why don't you tell people about that? And I, th- I can't tell, I think that might've threw him off. Cause then he, he doesn't answer. He's just like, the founders left us with many mysteries. And then he like gets up. He's like, time we both dressed for the occasion. So I think maybe he didn't know there was this door. And then he's just like, oh crap, maybe I don't know everything myself. And he's like, congratulations, by the way, you've attracted the largest crowd we've ever had for a clean, even larger than Holston's. And she's like, I won't clean. He's like, nobody intends to. But they always do, as the founders, in their wisdom, knew they would. Which reminds me, your last request was granted. And then he hands her Holson's badge with, you know, truth scratch on the back. And he calls a deputy, uh, you know, the, the dress-up people come in to her cell to suit her up. So Bernard sits in his office. He, he pours uh, the pieces from the smash hard drive onto his desk. And um, there's a like a little CD in the pieces. It's not destroyed, so... Does that mean he can still access the data? So maybe her mentioning the door got him thinking. Maybe he's like, oh, crap, maybe I should check this out. And, you know, maybe he knew that he could smash the metal. But, it, you know, he maybe, I don't know, just we don't know yet. In the cafeteria, Knox, like, stands next to Shirley. She kind of moves away. She's still mad at him. Juliet's suited up. And then, you know, some of the, the, the cleaning, the tape or whatever is, is taking out. Um, her wrist is taped up, I guess to seal her gloves and, and the sleeve, and then like wool is like placed in a pouch at her belt. Walk comes up to the, the screen, and people kind of like part to, to let her her through. She takes a breath and she stands next to Shirley, and so the Mayor reads the spiel, she broke the cardinal rule, she has to clean, when she's outside the airlock, she is outside the law. They do not know why they are there, etc, etc. They do not know when it's safe to go outside, they only know that that day is is that you know today is not that day. How do they know that? Is there like sensors out there that says you can't go out there? Um he hopes that she will clean so they can see the sanctuary, it's something like this. I think this I forget what it is, The sanctuary that they're in, not the sanctuary they're outside. Blah, 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 whatever. Any last words? And she's like, I'm not afraid. Helmet is put on her. Billings like bows his head because he feels bad. Then he, you know, opens a big door. She walks through. The door shuts. She's like sprayed with this like white smoke, whatever. And it kind of startles her. And then the other door opens and she walks up the ramp. People in the cafeteria see her step out and she looks and she sees the green grass and the blue sky, birds flying. When I saw the birds, I'm like, wait, the same birds, same V formation. And if she thinks back to the video, then she's like, the display is a lie, which is what she's, she's been saying. She's just talking about the wrong display on the cafeteria screen. They see her turn around. She walks up to the camera and she holds up the, the wool. So it's like, was Bernard right? He says that they always clean. Do they, they fake it? You know, whatever. She walks up to the screen, holds up the wool. And then she drops it. So I guess that means it wasn't fake. The people in captivity, they, they get upset, whatever. Um, Sims, he's like, what do we do? And Bernard's like, oh, it won't be much longer. You know, she'll, she'll be done before she reaches that, the tree. So it's like, what does that mean? Because I, I always wonder, it's like, do, how much oxygen do they have or whatever in there? Is it just like enough for them to, to clean and then they die? So it looks nice out, you know, the birds are chirping and then she like stumbles and falls and Bernard's like right on schedule. So it's like, wait, what the heck is going on? And she tries getting up and she, and she crawls to like where Holston's body is. So it's like, is his body really there outside? She like reaches for this like stump or a rocker, but then her hand kind of goes through it. So what it is, is her display is a lie. And what's interesting is this is something that was mentioned Early on in the book, I don't know if I mentioned it when I when I when I was talking about it early on, but when um, Holston, because the the book starts, so it's like almost at like the beginning of the book. I what I mentioned before, the the book doesn't cover Allison going outside. The book starts where Holston is getting suited up, and you know they they mentioned that his wife went out there and everything like that. But then he goes out there, he stumbles, he actually takes his helmet off, and, and then he sees that his display is, like, messed up. Like, in, inside, the, the, he, there's, like, a display inside the helmet that is, like, showing him something different. And then Bernard's like, she knows. And Sim's like, knows what? She pulls out Holson's badge from a pouch, and she places it on the rock, and, and it, it kind of, like, shimmers a little bit. So it's like, wait, what, what's the point of this? We'll have to come back to that sims turns to bernard and then he's surprised because bernard's gone he disappeared and then he sees him like rushing out at the back of cafeteria he turns back to the screen juliet is um back on her feet and then the, the, like the crowd's like on the edge of their seats now her just looking she looks at her taped up wrists and repeats the message they're good in supply so she keeps walking to the top of the hill and then she sees like a big green field Bernard's like running now down the hall. Then he uses that like 18 key fob thing to this door, opens the door. It's a door to the server room. Juliet's vision on on when she's at the top of the the hill, she's looking over the field. It kind of flickers a little bit and then it turns desolate. So it's like it's not green and lush out there. So what they're seeing is actually real. So, and it almost looks like in, in the distance, there might be an old city, like way far off or something like that. So she turns and looks back where she came from. And, and there's like more hills in a distance like that. You see like a little structure where the, the camera is like mounted, like up, just like right by the hatch. So the people inside see her standing at the top of the hill. Then she turns and she like walks out of sight. And the people are just like murmuring. So Julia... Walks across like the desolate rocky hillside, but the the camera kind of like pans up and like kind of rotates. I could swear that there's no bodies by the tree. I don't I don't know if they're they were there because at one point it looks like there's something there, but it's like no, that's not the tree, that's somewhere else. So then then you see like big like round circles all like around in, in the other field like beyond. So what are these other circles? There are other friggin' silos. It's got to be the silos. Because each one has like a, a a little structure where the camera would be. And and that's where it ends. What does this mean? So the, the, with the tape, what, why did Wack go up to, to Carlos? Apparently, it is still toxic out there. And probably when they, they tape up, the the heat tape that they use is crap. So that's probably why they got mad when Juliet stole it. Because then she they might find out that that they have crappy tape that they use. So Walk had Carla switch in the the good tape, her her heat tape, so when Juliet was taped up, she was actually sealed in there. So I guess it keeps all the toxic stuff from from seeping in. Now, the, the question is, does that mean that Holson and Allison really did die out there? And and I guess the bigger question is how much oxygen does she she actually have in her suit? And you know with with the eighteen, what I was thinking if, if there's other silos out there because you you try like counting and it's you know you don't see like what's behind her how many there could be. So does the the eighteen does that mean that they're silo number eighteen? Like eighteen out of what? Now the only other thing that I, I was thinking about. Is because you know, where is she gonna walk to? I don't know. I don't know if there was an actual city. I, I tried looking at it like really closely, it could just be more mountains in the distance, or it could be a city far off. So, if she's gonna walk there, or is she gonna try to go to another silo and like wave in front of the camera and like freak people out? People will be like, What the heck is that? But if she plans on walking somewhere, I mean, how far can she go depending on her, her, her oxygen? So, the only thing I can think of, what I would hope is that Holson and Allison aren't really dead. That it was just like a fake display. But I don't think that that's the case because I think what people are seeing in the cafeteria is really true. Because I think the reason the reason she stumbled is because there's like a drop-off. There's like like a, a, a step. So I, I think that that's kind of what he said, like right in schedule. Right, right, that's why she stumbled. She didn't stumble because she couldn't breathe or anything like that. She stumbled because she thought she was like walking uphill or something like that, but it was more, or maybe she thought she was lo- something like that. I, I think that she, she just lost her balance. But my, my thinking, my hope is when she gets psh, that, that spray of stuff before she goes out. I'm hoping it was like, what if that was like the toxic stuff? That they're spraying it and it's like sticking on the outside of the suit, and then it this starts seeping in through the the bad heat tape. So she can go out there. Whoever goes out there can clean. They they like oh look, everything is is looks great out here. It's The birds and grass and everything like that. I'm gonna clean the camera, and then the stuff starts to affect them. Well, we don't know. So, I but the, but then the question is why are they they. If if that's the case, if it's not toxic out there, why do they want people in these silos? Who made these silos? How many friggin' silos are there? Oh man. See, this is why it's so tempting to to read the books. But also that being said, they may veer off, you know, majorly from you know the for the next season. Who knows? So I don't know. But that that was just that was really crazy. And I I, I just I love the show. And it was all about the heat tape from the very beginning. <laughs> we had no idea that something so like minor was is actually like a bigger bigger thing. Okay, then uh, the crowded room, season one, episode six, Raya. This uh, this was an interesting episode because it it kind of it, it backs up a little bit, and you know obviously by the, the title this is about about Raya um, Amanda Seyfried's character. But it's it's interesting because we go back to the beginning and we we see some scenes that we've seen before, but some of them are extended a little bit some it, it's just kind of kind of interesting and this this show i I can see why Tom Holland's like I, I need to take a break from acting because this is uh, it, it, it just it's it's so sad all right so it starts off Danny as a kid. At first, I actually, no, I'll tell you that. I thought it was Danny as a kid. He walks in his mom's room and she's like sleeping on a bed. There's like a bottle on a nightstand. And it almost looks like there's blood under her because, you know, she's laying on on her stomach. Or is it wine or something like that? And the kid's like, he's like, my tummy hurts, mommy. And she's like, huh, what time is it? He's like, I don't want to go to school. So this is where I realize it's not Danny or his mom. It's Raya. And it turns out she has a kid. So we didn't, I don't think we knew this. I'm pretty sure we, we didn't know this. So she curses when she sees a time. And then, she, so I, I think, I don't think it was wine. Maybe she laid on some, because there was like something there. So the kid's name is Ezra. She's like, you need to get dressed and get some breakfast before grandma gets here. And because she's like, mama has class. So at the table, he's pouring Coca-Cola in his cereal. So it was like, you're uh, genius. No wonder your tummy hurts. And she's like, "Why aren't you dressed?" And her her mom arrives, and and she's like, "Why isn't he dressed?" And and she's like, "What is he eating?" And he's like, "My tummy hurts again." And arrives like n- n- the cousin uh, grandma starts going, you know, her mom starts going, and she's like, "No, don't obey him, mom. He needs to get dressed. He needs to go to school." And mom, her mom starts saying that. He probably has good reasons for saying that, whatever. And then she comments back. And, and, you know, she says something like that. Mom's like, don't talk to me like that. And then Ezra screams, I don't want to go to school. He swats the cereal and Coke off the table. And Raya curses at him. She's like, God damn it, Ezra. She's like, what are you doing? What do you, who do you think you are? And he's like, my, I want my daddy. And her mom's like, Granny's here. And she tells Raya, she's like, just go to work. And she's like, he has to go to school. And her mom's like, he will. And, you know, don't be, you know, late again tonight. So now we find out it's one week after Rockefeller Center. She takes a bus. She um, rushes. Dean runs up to her outside. He's like, oh, it seems like you've been avoiding me since, you know, failed to support your grant. And he's like, Raya, you're a great teacher. If, If any one of you deserve tenure, she's like, any one of us? And she's like, a woman? You mean? He's like, well, that's not what I mean. But since you know we're still technically a men's university, and she's like, women can't teach men. I'm pretty sure that's mostly what we do. He's like, oh yeah, that's fair. But in this, you know, you, you know, you're you're running behind. Anorexia has already been included in the DSM, whatever that is. And she's like, yeah, just one form of it. And she's like, you know, there's more than just one, firm, one one, form, you know, bulimia has its own unique condition. He's like, I know you're passionate about this, but Sam Wilkes also has applied for a grant, which is essentially splitting hairs. And he's got, and she's like testicles. And the, the Dean's like, Oh no, seniority. It's like, sorry. You know, if, if you want to want the department to support you, you're going to have to find something else. So she addresses her like very large class. She's like, trauma is the closest we have to time travel. The moment of trauma is imprinted at On our minds. It's indelible ink on paper, but unlike ink, trauma doesn't fade over time. She goes on about like when triggered by an event or memory to suffer is transported back to that moment. And she talks about like a medic in war coming across a village where you know there's kids are screaming, you know, he wants to escape, but he has a job to do. So this leads to disassociation from reality. But then she's like, but psychic flight has a cost. So the medic returns home, tries not to think about the village. He goes about his daily life. He attends a neighborhood barbecue. There's local children playing and it sounds like death screams. There's meat on the grill, which is like indistinguishable from burning bodies. So he can't stay. His trauma has made the barbecue intolerable. But over time, it will invade all of his experiences until his world becomes unlivable. And then, like, some dude, like, kind of walks in the door, you know, at, at this point. She's like, she says that, you know, most of them are re-experiencing real events they cannot see. What they call disorder is, for them, a very reasonable way of escaping actual horror. She's like, to put it bluntly, they would be crazy not to be crazy. So, that's the end of class, the dude comes up to her, and she's like, criminal psychology is down the hall, detective. He's like, well, word on the street is you're the best academia has to offer, so I don't you know, I don't know. thought I'd come by and see what all the fuss is about. So she knows this guy, his name's Maddie. He's one of the detectives that she's, you know, we see at the beginning. She says she's flattered. She's like, look, I had a good time, but I meant what I said, you know, I'm going through a divorce. And he's like, Oh, easy there, tiger. She's like, that's not what I'm here for. He's like, I, I can take no, even if you're making a mistake. He's like, I brought, see, he brought, Brock gives her a file. So he's like, we brought this kid in last night. Multiple counts of attempted homicide. There might be something in there that interests you know you, her. And she's like, that's why you came here? And he's like, what? You think I'd do this just to get back in bed with you? And she's like, uh, yeah. He's like, well, fair point. But you said you needed a real wacko or else you were going to lose your job. And she's like, is that what you heard? He's like, well, I, I was a little bit distracted. And he's like, hey, we have a real psycho here. And you know, she opens the file and there's a picture of Danny. So she walks to the police station, I'm assuming it's the next day or something like that. And it's the scene that we saw in the first episode. The detective um, tells her about the incident. She comments that there's no history, you know, on, on the form. The other detective mentions that the kid's not in the system, there's no prints, he won't give up his last name. Maddie says that, you know, he said it's not good for, for the cause. They had a, a blow up of his face going around. Someone saw him getting in, you know getting a cab at jfk so then the other guy says that it it took him to his rundown boarding house upstate maddie says uh con ed says the all the bills are in some israeli guy's name and they're always mailed in cash there's no sign of them and Rise like uh what about the girl ariana she's like that's a pretty name and maddie thinks that the kid offed her and the landlord you know they they know that he's happy with the gun and she's like why He's like, well, you got to meet him. You know, there's something in his eyes. You know, the, the way he talked in an interview, his his diction, his word choice. And the other detective um, questions all of this. He's like, word choice, whatever. And Maddie's like, you know, he goes to where he can get the most attention. He changes the way he talks. And then he doesn't show any remorse. He's like, that's that's what a psycho does, Right. And she gives him a line how it's not that simple. There's a number of dispositive factors that you know she's just not seeing. Maddie mentions uh, the blood and the bullet hole and the glass at the house, so she agrees to take a look. Maddie takes her over. You know, then we see the scene where you know Danny's inside waves, and then she, so she goes in there, and he's like, "Whoa, what up, sis?" She introduces herself and says that you know he can call her, her Raya, and he's like, "To what do I owe the pleasure?" And Maddie tells him, you know. He's like, sit up, and he like cuffs him to the table, and he like looks at us. So Maddie leaves. She sits and asks, you know, how is he? And he's like, what are we doing here today, ma'am? And he like changes speak, and he's like, why the cuffs? I hate cuffs. And she's like, do you know why you're here? And he's like, do you? She's like, let's start with something simpler. Why don't you tell me your last name? I don't think any of this is what Jack had in mind. And she's like, who's Jack? And he like turns slightly. He's like, I give up. Who's Jack? then she's like if you talk to me i might be able to help you he's like wait you can get me out of here i don't much like being locked up and she's like i get it he's like i shouldn't really be in here anyways ariana was the one who did the shooting and she's like ariana where is ariana because the cops can't seem to find her oh they won't find her either and she's like why is that and he's like i'm starting to think that you're not actually here to help me and she's like how can i help you he's like get me out of here can i tell you a secret he whispers I can get myself out. Then he holds up his hands and he's out of the cuffs. And she like stands up and she calls, you know, Maddie. And he's like, whoa, whoa, it's a joke. So he got out of the handcuffs. Does this mean that he's Johnny, that there is no Johnny? Or does this mean that that Danny learned how to get out of cuffs from from Johnny? I'm thinking it's more that there's no Johnny. So he gets slammed on the table. He gets cuffed, you know, behind his back. And he's like, hey, Doc, absolute pleasure. I'll be seeing you. And then he's taken out the other door so outside maddie apologizes says the cuffs must have been faulty and she's like you know it just startled me and then he, he says that he wasn't anything like that in the interview and she mentions that he said something about someone named jack and maddie says that in an interview he said jack says it's time to face the music so maddie says that you know he's just playing them and she's like you know maybe frank the other detective is right and she's like, just give him a few days of detox. You know, he doesn't seem like, you know, she, she doesn't think that the kid's for her, that there's anything that she can use. So she comes home. She apologizes her mom for being late. She's, and her mom's like, a little late is not two and a half hours. She's like, I know. I said, I'm sorry. And, you know, she says that it doesn't matter for her. You know, her mom's like, it doesn't matter for him, for him, you know, a little consistency, maybe, you know, maybe sit down for dinner. And she puts a plate, you know, wrapped in foil in front of, of Raya. She's like, it's cold. And Raya asks for some wine from the fridge. You don't need wine. And she's just like looks looks at her mom. And she takes a bite. You know, she's kind of surprised. She's like, oh, it's good. Her mom's like, he talked to his father. And then she's like, shakes her head, she curses. She's like, it's not his night. And she's like, don't use that tone with me, young lady. You weren't here. He wanted to talk to him, so I let him. And she's like, I have to deal with things without him. Then be here to do it, Raya. She gets up. She sets out two glasses, pours wine. She... Mentions that when he'd cry, he would sleep between them or something like that. And when, when he, she goes to him, he won't talk to her. Mom says that you, you just have to keep loving him and no matter how hard you know you make it. Then is like, you should have been the shrink, Mom. And she's like, I know. So she goes up to his room. He's sleeping. And you know, she's just kind of, whatever, fixes his blanket. Next day, she goes out to dinner with uh, some guy, Greg, which I think might be the father. Uh, yeah, he is. So he knows that she didn't get tenure or, or you know there's just all this stuff going on so I think they might have worked together or something like that And because he heard from it by, from someone else so he tells her he's like you know you should do something mainstream focus on like behavior mod or learning history there's money there so he does like a lot of mansplaining and and he even like tells her uh, you know whatever she's eating she's like oh that, that would taste better with horseradish and then she's like uh, you remember all this stuff but you don't remember that I'm allergic to horseradish he's like oh not liking it doesn't mean allergic whatever so then she asks him not to call um, when it's not his night, and he's like, "Well, technically, he called me." He's like, "Well, your mom called and put him on the phone," and she's like, "Well, you know, he has Ezra has to learn to deal with her shortcomings or whatever," and you know, because sure had to deal with his, and then Greg's like, "Oh, it's you know, it's, it's challenging, challenging with with you." She's like, "You're so hot and cold in so many ways. You never know who you're gonna get," and then she just like looks at him and and she might be thinking about Danny you never know who you're going to get so she falls asleep watching TV and she gets an idea from from the movie about there's like some I don't even know what the movie was but there might be something similar so then it's 2 weeks after Rockefeller Center she talks with the dean and says she's like what if i present a case where i can prove the diagnosis is real and he's like you know, why look for the most obscure conditions possible? She's like, Jesus, Martin. She's like, that's the whole point. It's because they're obscure. No one helps them because they're told that what they're going through isn't real and what they're feeling doesn't matter because there's no diagnostic code for them in this book that's in front of her. He's like, Raya, you don't have anything to prove. She's like, please don't be condescending. I have at least 15 more years of my son's tuition to take care of. She's like, I need tenure. And you and I both know I'm not going to get it unless I publish another article. If I show veracity of the diagnosis, will the department support a grant? He's like, if you verify a diagnosis, yes, I will support the grant. Hell, I will support a dedicated chair with your name on it. So she returns home. She takes like the paper out of typewriters so, like bulimia or whatever like that. And then she drives to the boarding house. So we've seen this. This, this scene might have been the second episode. She now actually goes in, sees the mess, sees the blood, bullet holes, sketchbook. Gets scared by the bird in the fireplace. And then, um, then what we don't see is, so she puts when she puts the stuff in her car, someone startles her and is like, "Do you know where Danny is?" And then she's like, "You know Danny?" And then the, it's she's like, "He's my son." So it, Danny's mom's there. So we didn't, we know, she said she talked to his mom, but we didn't know when. So it happened back then. And then she's like, is something wrong? Did something happen to him? And Araya's like, is there somewhere we could talk? So they go to the house and she sees picture of Danny. You know, she's like, yeah, that's him. All right. And she, you know, there's, there's a drawing of Danny and Adam as kids. So, so again, the thing is, was Adam real or not? Uh, which we, we think we're pretty sure, maybe. So then then she's like, or mom asks, like, how long can he be in jail? And then Rai, you know, she does can't answer that. But she's like, was Danny a twin? And her mom pauses, like, doesn't answer. But she's like, that's Adam. He's been gone a long time. And then Rai's like, what happened to him? Another pause. And then she's like, a psychologist, you say? You know, trying to help him out? And Rai's like, yeah, I'd like to. Uh, then she's like, even before everything with Adam, he was very sensitive. And then they kicked him out of school. And she's like, why? And she's like, drugs and fighting. You know, he, he was always so bright. He, he was like a light and imagination. But things just didn't turn out. And Rise like, may I ask how we ended up living across the street? And the mom's like, him and my husband they didn't see eye to eye. But my husband doesn't see eye to eye with much of anyone. So he moved there a couple years ago. And I figured, you know, what's the harm, right? At least I can keep an eye on him. Then one day he's just gone. But attempted murder. She's like, that's not my Danny. And is like, do you know who lived with him across the street? And she's like, I don't know who, who was full time. You know, there was a girl there a lot. I'm I'm thinking Ariana is another persona. So the girl that was there a lot is probably Annabelle. Maybe. She, and she. so her mom's like, you know, people come and go. So is he going to prison? And Raya's like, I hope not. You said he was sensitive. Would you say that he was moody as a child you know depressed quick to react did his moodiness increase around every thing that happened with adam and she's like like i said he was always different no crime in that and ryan's like no there isn't and she's like i'd like to ask you something it's a difficult question but i think it'd be very helpful in helping him and she's like did anything ever happen to danny as a boy and she's like what kind of thing so ryan's like when you mentioned that you didn't have much luck with men what did you mean by that and she's like oh it's my fudging fault now she's like no that's not what i'm saying at all and she's like what did he say happened and rise like nothing i'm just trying to you know better understand him so mom's like i don't know what people do you know what everybody does all the people who come to see you and rise like no she's like no people do things they don't look like they're capable of and Rise like candy then she's like i gotta go i'm gonna be late for work at the hospital tell him i'm gonna come see him and she's like candy i'm not even his doctor yet and she's like well just leave your cup and she like walks away so she like doesn't want to answer these questions later she's typing something up she tells ezra you know he's watching tv she's like 10 o'clock you need to go up to bed he doesn't move from tv and she you know she just keeps working then um she picks up the sketchbook and starts looking at it Next day she talks to Maddie outside the station. She's, you know, says she needs to talk to Danny again and he's like, "You can't. You know, it's he's been processed already. He's on his way to Rikers this afternoon. Legal aid said that he gets no visitors until, you know, he gets there and there's nothing that he can do." Then she's like, "Dinner tonight, no sex, I need to see him." And he's like, ah, "You you are a piece of work." He's like, "All right." So then um She's outside his cell. She says, hello, asks if he remembers her. And he's like, yeah, a face like that. And she's like, you mentioned Jack the other day. And he's like, you know, wh- what about him? She's like, I was wondering if I could talk to him. Do you think you could give him a message for me? Danny kind of chuckles. And he's like, how? And he's like, I don't know if he noticed, but I'm locked up here. She's like, I just thought maybe you can. S- and she's like, say you can. And then he's like, say I can, hypothetically. She's like, if if you can, could you tell him I just want to talk to him? And he's like, yeah, sure, done. And he laughs, and she walks away. And he's like, hey, they say I'm going to Rikers Island. Is it really that bad? And she's like, not too bad. And he's like, it looks like you think it's pretty bad. Anyways, thanks for coming to see me. So Maddie goes to her house with pizza, and you know, he's like... She's like, it's it's not a date. He's like, yeah, because bring a pizza to my house because my kids upstairs asleep didn't exactly scream romance. So she mentions, you know, going going to the old boarding house where Danny was living. She went into and he's because the door was unlocked and he's you know, he's like, Well, it's breaking entering, whatever. He asks how she found it, you know, what's she doing, and she says that she found his mother. He's like, Sorry? So Rai's like, his name is Danny Sullivan, and that's you know, that's her address. I also found this. Shows him a sketchbook. She turns Ariana's picture and asks if, if he recognized her. He's like, that's the girl from the Rockefeller Center. At least that's the, if the description's accurate. He's like, D- but do you, do you think these guys are all victims? And she's like, maybe, but not this guy. There's like probably Jack. She's like, the style of this drawing is disorganized. And he's like, well, what's that? She's like, well, that's Big Ben. And the, the glasses are just like ones that he found in the house. And she's like, you know, you know maybe that's Jack. So Maddie's like, you think this guy's an accomplice? And she's like, well, you said that Danny's diction and his speech pattern was different the first time you interviewed him. Would you say that he had an English accent? He's like, not all the way through. But, yeah, sometimes now that you mention it, she's like, what if, what if Danny is Jack? And Maddie's like, excuse me? She's like, what if Danny has a split personality? He's like, oh, come on. She's like, Maddie. You were right about, about Danny. Something about him just stays with me. Something's off about him. What if he has another personality named Jack who maybe does things for him? He's like, like kill people? She's like, maybe he's unaware of his action when he's Jack or he thinks he, you know someone else is doing it. He's like, you're serious? She's like, Maddie, if I'm right, Danny may be innocent. And he's like, okay, say he has the split personality thing. Then what? She's like, the first person you'd have to convince is him. If he's not aware of his condition and somebody tells him before he's ready, he's likely to have a breakdown. So he needs to trust somebody first. He's like trust as simple as that. She's like, no. And also, yes. He's like, and that person's going to be you. How are you going to do that? Exactly. She's like, you're going to give me the name of his legal aid lawyer. And I'm going to go and try to talk to Jack. So then now it's 3 weeks after Rockefeller Center. She goes to the legal aid office. It's, you know, the masters a lot of people, you know, they're probably overworked and everything like that. She talks to some guy named Stan. He's not too keen on talking. He's like eating or whatever. And then she says she's a psychologist. A detective brought her in on a con- consult and she believes that his client is suffering from a rare mental disorder. And he's like, "Yeah, that kid's a whack job." And she's like, "You know, those terms aren't very helpful." He's like, "Oh, forgive me." She says, in her professional opinion, he has a split personality. And oh, he's like, oh, is that like Sally, the Sally Fields thing in a in, in movie, you know, Sybil? And she's like, yeah, something like that. And he asks, he's like, is this a gag? And she says that his client is sick and needs to be in a hospital, not a jail. And he's like, well, what do you want me to do about it? She's like, you're his lawyer. Then he's like, same question. So she's like, isn't it your job to help your client? He's like, um... My job is to act in the client's best interest and when they're surrounded by witnesses while you know committing actual crimes, their best interest is to plead guilty. She's like can't you just argue he's sick? He's like they send people to jail with cancer. you think they're gonna let this kid you know off because he talks in funny voices She's like, do you know where his condition comes from? He's like the funny papers maybe. She's like, multiple personality results almost solely from extreme, often ongoing sexual abuse in early childhood. She's like, I've met the kid. Whatever you do or do not believe about him, I can tell you one thing. He's not going to last five minutes upstate. I do need to, to talk to him. I need a few sessions with him. You know, you can make that happen or you can let me walk out of here right now. And one day, very soon, you will wake up with this kid's blood all over your hands and you can drip that in your fudging egg salad. And he's like, wow. So he says that, you know, if if she's like, if you make my job harder anyway, we're done. And he hands her like a file. And he's like, his hearing's in about a month. And he's like, the Xerox, you know, machines in the back it takes quarters. So she's gonna make copies of his files. So now it's four weeks after Rockefeller Center. He's brought to the room. So this is the first time. She tells the guard, you can take off the cuffs. And she asks if he wants to sit down. He goes to the window. You know, it's, it's kind of open a little bit. And then she says that she brought him some new clothes. He breathes in the fresh air. So it's been a few days since he's breathed in fresh air or whatever. And he kind of has an English accent now. So she asks, how's he feeling? Um, he's like looking around and he starts looking at books and he, there's, he sees some stuff. He quotes Carl Jung and she mentions that she didn't notice his accent the last time they spoke. She's like, are you English? He's like, I like to consider myself a citizen of the world. So she says that she was hoping to get a better sense of the case, you know, family history and stuff. And he asks, he's like, yes, doesn't she find the tell me about your childhood stuff tedious? He's like, I do. He's like, no offense. Then she's like, well, none taken. She thought that it would help give context to what happened in Midtown. He's like, well, the two of them are just misguided children and no one was seriously hurt, correct? She's like, the two of them, obviously you're very smart. I can only assume you wanted me to catch that. And then he stares at her with a slight smile. She's like, you're not Danny, are you? And he's like, are you sure we're not on the wrong side of the desk, doctor? I'm not sure how to say this to you, but you do sound rather mad. And she's like, Jack? And he's like, at your service. And she's like, where's Danny? He's here. He's asleep, but he's here. And before you try to convince me that... this is some sort of psychological condition let me assure you that i am very real and she's like how is that possible he's like do you understand quantum entanglement she's like i'm not familiar with it she's like no he's like it is an emergence emerging theory in particle physics so you suggest just separation is not what we believe it to be or something like that and he he says that you know she's not familiar with the sciences and she's like no but you know she does want to help danny so she thinks that if she can she might be able to get him out of here she's like i just need to talk to him unfortunately my dear i don't think that would serve and she's like why danny's in trouble jack he desperately needs help do forgive me for my immodesty but that's what guardian angels are for wouldn't you say and he's like i'll consider your request he gets up he's like thank you for the close she's like we still have more time you're not doing danny any favors and he's just like oh, god so she's riding at home and a maddie comes by late he says he found something that she should see he thought that um, she was on the right path with the Sullivan kid. And he's like, Remember that thing you said on, uh, on the first day about how you're never going to find a girl? And he's like, You can count on that. And he hands her a videotape. So, and he's like, After you see that, call me. So she pops in the tape, and it's almost like, Is there a gunshot? So was there, is there like surveillance footage from somewhere? We don't see what's on there. So then it's five weeks after Rockefeller Center. Uh, She goes back to see Danny. She thanks Jack for agreeing to meet with her again. She's still hoping to talk to Danny. And he asks, you know, what exactly she's so desperate to talk about. She's like, you said you preferred, you know, Jung to Freud. You know, Jung would say you can't live without understanding your shadow. I've been doing some reading myself. People who share a body can have a keen survival instinct, almost a sixth sense about others. And then she sighs, she's like, look at me, really look at me and tell me if you think that I'd want to hurt Danny. So he looks at her and he's like, you are somewhat selfish and somewhat lost. But no, in fact, you are very much the opposite. So she's like, you said you were his guardian angel. He, he, you know, you ha- he has got to understand his own past. It's the best way that I can prepare him for the trial. The best way I can get him and you out of here. You and I want the same thing. We want to help Danny, but I cannot do it if I can't talk to him. And he nods. He's like, okay, I'm asking you to be gentle. He doesn't really know about us. And she's like, us? How many of you are there, Jack? There's a long pause. And then, where am I? Who are you? And he's like, I I, I would like to leave now. I would I would like to leave now. And she's like, Danny, you're in jail at Rikers Island. She's like, my name is Raya, and I'm here to help you. And he's like, he has tears. He's like, he's scared. And it's like, this makes it, again, sad. He has no idea what's going on. And she's like, okay, I'm, she's like, do you know why you're here, Danny? And he's like, yes, because of what happened with Ariana. He's like, I have these blank spots. That it happens to me sometimes, but, but not like this. This is different. She's like, you're okay. She's like, we don't have to talk right now, Danny. We can just sit here. Is, is that okay? And maybe, you know, just just take a few breaths. She's like, are you hungry? He like, nah. She's like, good. She gets up, gets her bag, gives him like a couple, you know, things and sits. And, you know, then she's like sits kind of like facing to the side instead of looking at him. So kind of like give him a space. Later, I think it's another day, getting the montage, you know, the stuff that we've seen. She asks him, you know, how long was he living there? And he's like, a couple years. And she's like, you know, is it possible you did the things um, that you don't remember? And, and he's like, what are you writing? And she's like, please go on. You were telling me about Ariana. Um, you know, Rockefeller Center was her idea, right? And he's like, why do you keep asking me that? And, you know, she says, Danny, are you really willing to take the blame for this? And another scene where he's like, you know, I guess my stepfather thought that I was trouble. And she's like, why? Why? What did you do? That was trouble. And then there's another part. She's like, "I'm gonna ask you again. Don't you think it's time we talk about what happened to Adam?" And she's like, "What are you not telling me? You know what happened to Yitzhak? Why are what are you not telling yourself?" And he like stands up fiercely, in you know, that one scene. And she's like, "Where did they all go? You assaulted someone." And then he's like, "No, Johnny assaulted someone." And, and and you know to steal a gun. He's like, "I did not shoot anybody." And then she's like, "Why London? An Israeli Israeli expat, an American girl, a British businessman, and your father." And he's like, "They're all in this together." And then she's like, "Is it possible you had reached a limit?" And he's like, "I'm done." She's like, "I think it's time he knows the truth." So then, eleven weeks after Rockefeller Center, um, her mom comes over with groceries. She's asked, you know, if this thing that she's doing, uh, what is this thing that she's doing? She's not paying attention to her son. So, Raya explains the case about a boy who was hurt when he was young, and she needs to get him to talk about it. If she's right, um, she's like, I wouldn't want to talk about it either. So, mom says, We'll use a turtle. And she's like, Sorry? She's like, When you were little, you could never talk about your feelings. So, your father would ask you, How's the turtle? And she's like, The stuff one he gave you. She's like, You don't remember? She's like, No. And she, then her mom's like, You would say that the turtle is angry about this or sad about that. And she's like, Marvin. And then rise like, Mortimer. So she does remember. And then her mom's like, go read to him and um, talk to her son. So she gives up and her mom starts looking at the sketchbook. And then she's back with Danny the next day or whatever. She's like, how about we go further back? How about we talk about when you were a little boy? Can you tell me about the good times? She's like, let's start with Adam. You were twins, right? So that's the whole part about happy memory. And he's like, oh, I really miss him. And she's like, well, what happened to him? And she's like, could you tell me about it? And he's like, I, I don't. She's like, it's okay. Well, she's like, I have a hunch. Did he do something for you? Something that was very hard? Something only brother would do? Uh, did it have to do with Marlon? And it's like, Danny, it's really important that we that you try and tell me. You know, we can stop at any time, but it's important that you try. And then he's like, okay. So this we've seen this part. He's like, we were in the car. I was sitting in the front. Adam was in the back. You know, we had no idea where we were going. Marlon used to own a barn. I don't think we knew that. He would take us there, but he would only ever take Adam inside. Then as this is going on, which is making the scene kind of like more emotional for for viewers, for me. You know, then Let It Be starts playing, which is, you know, very sad song, whatever. So the song plays while, you know, she's listening to Danny tell the story. Then it cuts to she's walking outside the prison. She goes to her car. She gets in shakes her head then she starts crying and you know she tries to take a deep breath more tears she comes home and then she just gives her mom a hug and her, and her mom's kind of like surprised like okay then she goes up to her son's room you know he he's sleeping she just slides next to him and she just puts her arm around him and that's where it ends and and this is what what's like so emotional because it's like no child should ever have to go through that and and Just the thought of it, I mean, it's like I could not imagine, I would never want anything like that to happen to to my daughter or anyone. I mean, no one, it's just, it's absolutely, you know, unheard of, unspeakable. It's just, uh, so very emotional. (laughs) And that's the end. So, um, as you listen to this, the next episode is available. It's like, holy crap. Uh, let's, Let's move on. Alright, with uh, Black Mirror, uh, this is the last episode, so I know it's it's taking me a while to get through this this season. So it's uh, season six, episode five, Demon 79. Uh, this was an okay episode. It's uh, you know my, my nitpick thing, there's not really the technology aspect of it, but that's fine. Um, one of the things that's, that's cool about this is you know it, it has like this old horror like opening, like credits and music, and everything. Because I like, it's supposed to take place in 1979, that's why it's called Demon 79 um so it's like you know 70s style and you this woman is woken up um uh, at 7 30. she's indian she's from from india you know you would like, what's that matter it, it comes into play later so she gets up she lives in, like this studio apartment she gets ready for work she makes her lunch she works at this department store she works in the footwear department and and you see her you know she's eyeing this like the hip style of this mannequin or whatever then she's in the back she's eating and this white cashier girl lady She's like, you got a customer. And um, the, the, the lady, she's like, well, I'm eating. And she's like, yeah, I can smell it. Because she's rude. And then she's like, well, I'm on my break. And then the, the white girl, the white lady, she's like, and mine's in five minutes. If I start with a customer, it'll cut into my break. She gets up and then she like looks past the, the curtain partition. and she sees this guy. She's like, that's Keith Holligan. And the, the white lady's like, so? So he murdered his wife. And she's like, "Well, he doesn't seem to type." And everyone needs shoes. She's like, "Nita, how about you know, how about doing your job?" It's like, uh, "Why don't you do your job?" So she measures his foot, and he is kind of creepy. He's like, oh, I, th- "I think I'll need a- an eleven because I'm large for my height." And he like tries smiling, and it's like you know, a, t- a teeth- teethy smile. So um, she's like, starts to you know, ring it, write him up, or whatever like that. And He's like, "Oh, you sure you can't do a discount?" She's like, "I'm sorry, no, we can't." He's like, oh, I'm a bit strapped until the end of the month. And she's like, well, I can put him aside for you. So she starts, uh, you know, writing stuff down. He And he's like, oh, if you fancy writing down your number, I won't mind. <sighs> Ugh. So she like <laughs> slowly turns and looks at, at him. And as she thrusts her hands at his throat and he, and he like gas, she's like choking him. But that didn't really happen. This so is how it was like in her head, I guess. As soon as he leaves, the other lady comes out. Oh, reckon he's into your sort. So basically she's saying because you're Indian, he must be into people from India. So she's just like, I I know it was the seventies. Maybe being racist was more acceptable. I don't know, but it's just, it was just uh, horrible. Closing time outside. She hears a, a, a man, this Michael Smart. He's like running for like some government. You know, he's talking to the little speaker, you know, by his van. And and he's like saying all this stuff, and he sees need, and he stops. And he, there must be another racist thing where he's saying, "Yes, we're going to protect the neighborhood," and saying, and then you know whatever. So she eats, she reads, you know, while she's watching TV and um, the news is on. So she changes it to like this, like kind of music um, program, whatever. There's this band comes on, like 70s band. There's, you know, dude with like platform shoes and big like shoulder pads and big afro. And, you know, he looks like he might have sunglasses on. He's like super, you know, cool and hip or whatever. Leaves for work next day. Um, There's like NF spray painted on her door. She leaves and she's like, looks at it. What is NF? We'll find out later. Opens the door for work, adjusts boots on a mannequin. And the, the racist girl, she's like, you're dreaming if you think you can pull that off. And she's like, Mr. Duncan wants a word. And then he, he so Nita goes up to him. He's like, oh, it's nothing major. He's like, I understand you're in the habit of eating your lunch in the stock room. And she's like, oh, he's like, oh, it's, it's fine. Everybody does it. We don't mind, but it's, it's what you're eating. You see, most people's food, normal food, normal food, come on. Uh, it doesn't tend to linger afterward. It's not really fair on your coworkers. And there is a chance it could, well, it could get into the shoe leather. So if you must eat in there, maybe you could bring it in a sandwich, like a cheese and ham sandwich or just a cheese sandwich. If you're one of those that doesn't do ham He's like, I'm sorry to have to ask. And she's like, I'll do sandwiches from, from now on. He's like, you know, I think Vicky will be very appreciative as, as will we all. And she's like, the thing is I did bring in a, Barani today or something like that he's like well um uh how about the basement Uh, he's like you know original owner used to work down there um in the early days because you know he didn't want to be disturbed so he gives her like this old-fashioned like you know metal key or whatever she goes to counter after he leaves and vicky's like reading this this pamphlet it's like stop immigration protect british culture vote national front so that was the spray paint because there was when she came home the night before there's a couple dudes outside her her um her flat and she was like a little nervous as so she's like opening the key so there are probably racist people from National Front and they spray painted it when they saw her go in so then um Vicky looks at her and she's like you know she's she's like what and Nina's just like staring and then Nita Nina 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 um I think was her name Nita Nina, Nina. Grabs her by the ears, slams her head down and counter once, twice, three times, smashes her to counter, and Vicky's face is all bloody and she's in shock. And then Nina like shoves her down, and then in reality, Vicky's just like, "Hello, what do you want?" So she didn't really do that, and she's like, "Oh, just taking my lunch break." She goes down in the basement. Sits at this old like roll top desk. There's like articles about the store's first opening. Uh, workmen crushed in collapsing wall. She finishes eating and she gets up. There's like this, you know, the one kind of fancy drawer at the top. She opens it, but she kind of cuts her finger on the handle. She reaches inside. There's like a like a little tile in there, almost like a like a domino thing, but it has like some weird symbol. It almost looks. It's like a kind of like a field goal. And then there's like some. I don't know if that's her blood under. I think it was. And then she gets startled by a clatter in the distance, and and she absolutely puts a tile in her bag. So then she's at home watching TV. The the bag lies open on a table. Then she pulls out the tile, and she kind of, like, rubs it, you know, because the the blood, whatever, it's drying her. Then she hears, like, a distorted male voice say, hello. And she, like, gets startled, and, you know, she drops the, the tile. Then she slowly picks it up, She's and it's like, oh, yeah, hi. So my name is is Gop. I'm a demon. You anointed this talisman with your blood. So now we're bound together. And and she tosses it. He's like, bloody hell, look, I've got this whole introductory speech here. And she's standing in the doorway to the bathroom. He's like, we got to work together. He's like, can you pick me up? He's like, come on, please. So she picks up. He's like, right. So as I was saying, you anointed the talisman. And the rules are, you've got to carry out three human sacrifices over the next three days or else the world's going to end. And he's like, if you want me to help you, you need to permit me entry. And he's like, Dost thou permit me entry? Yes or no? She's like, this isn't real. He's like, You have to say yes. Just say the word yes. And she's like, mm-mm. And he's like, if you say yes, I'll stop and you'll never hear from me again. Like, this didn't happen. And he's like, say it, say it, say it. So she's like, Yes. The TV and the lights go out. And she looks at a tile. And now there's like an extra line going like straight up in the middle. So it looks kind of like a like a three-prong fork. And then she hears like a snarl. She's like, drops a towel. She turns around. There's a demon standing there. And she gasps. Like She shrinks back and Gop's like, hey, 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 hey. He's like, come on. And he's like, what's the matter? And he's like, oh, you know, all right. I, I, I got to be honest. You know, I, I lied about going away. So he apologizes. He's like, oh, my regular appearance is probably too much for this realm. So then he changes. And in his normal voice, he's like, is this better for you? So it's uh, the black cool singer from the show that she was watching. He's like, I peered into, into your, your soul, and apparently this is a, a physical look that you find appealing. So and he takes a look, and he, you know, he he turns on a TV and his his it's like he's projected on the TV. He's like, Wow, so am I a clown? Is this how clowns dress in your realm? And he's like, You have to get over the shock and just talk to me. So she thinks she's like, I'm dreaming, you're not real. And he says that uh, she touched the talisman you know, he, he doesn't make the rules. They have to work together. So basically, they need to deliver three sacrifices by Maymas. Um, he's like, oh, that's May Day to you. Or else it's burning skies time. So he decides to show her, like, convince her. And then her, like, apartment's on fire. She look, looks out. The city's burning. And after, you know, she's starting to catch on fire. And she's, like, you know, whatever, all balled up. And then he, like, snaps his finger. And then it's it's, it's gone. So she tries running away. And he keeps, like, appearing in front of her. And, you know, she goes outside and everything like that. Then she gets to the point, like, kind of under this little bridge. There's this guy, you know, she's, like, talking to him. And this guy's comes up walking a dog. And Gop's, like, oh, he'll do. And he's like, he deserves it. You know, he he does things to his daughter, Laura. And then, you know, he basically molests her or whatever like that. And she kills herself at 28. And she's like, how am I supposed to do it? He's like, with that brick in your hand. And she's got a brick in her. And then she ends up, like, killing him. So the police are alerted to missing persons. They go to the wife. But then it's weird because they have a, a, a little girl. And the little girl's name is Laura. So it's like, wait, what? So what Gop did, he showed her the future. So where he, this is what he's going to do. So then, you know, he, he it, it continues from there. So I won't spoil this whole episode, you know, cause you know, she wants to call the police, but he's like, you know, if you don't do it, you know, then the world's going to end and everything like that. She like eventually go, he's like, well, how about some liquid encouragement? She goes to the pub. She, she doesn't drink cause she has no alcohol in house. So she goes to the pub and then uh, that Keith Holligan guy's there and it, it goes on, on from there. Um, so I, I won't go into the, the, the whole thing. But it was it was it was kind of a cool episode. There wasn't anything um, like extraordinary about it. Uh, you know, there there's been some some real like really cool intricate episodes uh, of Black Mirror that, that we've had over the years, over the seasons. This one was good, but it, there wasn't anything really tricky or complex about it. I mean, it, it was it was a, a decent story and everything, and um, that the ending was. Uh, maybe not what you would expect but it was kind of fitting with the the whole theme of you know whatever you know the stuff that usually how these these things go so it, it was a it was a decent episode and everything i enjoyed it not necessarily like top five i, I don't even know if I, I don't even want to rank them but it, it was a good episode um but it's that's the end of the season so i don't know if that was the strongest one but you know they, they i don't feel like it should have been the last one it doesn't matter because you can watch these episodes in any order. They're not connected. It does not matter. But that's it. So no more Black Mirror until it starts back up again. <laughs> that was just. It was just crazy because then the thing is like, is the demon telling the truth? Is he not? And and yeah, I I just watch the episode. All right then, Hijack Season One Episode Three. Draw a blank. This <laughs> this episode really uh got got intense, and because is this. Six episodes? I, I I never remember. All right, it, so it starts off Alice the um the she works at air traffic control. She talks to Daniel's ex Zara about the SOS call. She's like. So she's like, is it a definite SOS or are you still not sure? And Alice is like, well, due to the ch- it changing course and the unusual communications, there's a stronger chance than ever that flight KA29 is in danger. And Zara's asked, I'm like, well, what what's un- the unusual communication? And she's like, you know, failure to respond, contradiction in statement made by the pilot. You know, as of now, that's all they've got, but it's enough to have them worried. So then she's like, right. So she's like, then I'm taking this higher, right? So then Zara goes, I guess, to her office building or something like that, wherever she works. She's looking for the duty officer. She knocks on a conference room window, and this lady complains. She's like, I'm in a meeting, says her name's Lydia. So she's not happy that she's interrupting. And Zara's like, well, I just need our JTAC duty officer. I don't know what JTAC stands for. Who cares? And Lydia's like, well, they're under you're on a on paternity leave. And Zara's like, well, then I need whoever is covering. And she's like, "Me." So I don't know if there's any like history or something between Zara and Lydia. They don't get along or so, whatever. But then, so Zara's like, "Well, we need to coordinate, and we have a suspected hijacker British passenger plane that's due to arrive in London in, in five hours." So then, Sam Idris Elba, he's looking at the flight progress uh, on on the screen, and uh, you know, the. Couple in first class are are whispering or something like that. So the the dude, um, this like older couple. The dude says he wants to say something, but the wife's telling him to shut up. And then they're talking in a different language. And Sam tries asking his neighbors, like, "What's that about?" This other lady that's to the right of of Hugo, she's says that she's telling him to shut up, and, and you know wh- what he's saying will get them into trouble. And Sam's like, "Well, what is he saying?" And then the the lady says that. He says that the man's saying that the guns the hijackers are using are fake. Then there's a, a close-up of a hijacker in a cockpit holding a gun. I don't know if he actually clicked it. Like he pulled a trigger or something. And, or if he's just like fiddling with it. So the um, neighbor guy, Hugo, says to Sam, he's like, well, if what they're saying is true, then we could end this. Uh, we have the numbers. And Sam's like, well, it's not as easy as that. And he's like, but we could end this now. And Sam's like, why? Because of some old man's hunch? Is that Why? And then uh, Hugo asks the lady, he's like, like, how does he know?" So she tries asking the other lady, but the wife is like, guff, guff, keeps telling him to be quiet. So it seems he was an Egyptian army for thirty years, and he dealt with hijackings all the time. So the wife she keeps trying to, to shush him and like cover his mouth, and, and you know, then he gets like louder. The number two guy he he comes up, and he's like, "What's the shouting about?" And like no one answers. He just points a gun. Sam finally talks. He says that he wants to get a message to. His, the, the man wants to get a message to his, his grandchildren he's like doesn't think he's going to see them again we were just trying to comfort him telling him that that you know it's the same for all of us and number two is just like keep it down at the air traffic control they say kingdom 29 is leaving iraq and it's just entering turkish airspace alice says they should um have instable challenge the pilot one more time on his change of route and then simon Alice's supervisor boss or whatever he puts Robin's info like up on the screen so he's he's like well he's old school he's been with kingdom for over a decade Alice like well he's been there too long to know that this won't go unnoticed so the other pastor lady says that the dude says that in the hijacks he's dealt with by the PLO or, or whoever they never had live rounds blanks made it made a bang they kept people in check and they do no damage there's no projectile so the neighbor dude, he says to Sam, he's like, well, there's the a shot firing business. He's like, no one was hit and there was no holes in the plane, nothing. Otherwise, you know, they'd know about it. So he wants to get a message back there. You know, if, if they find a bullet, fine, at least they'd know. But if there's no actual bullet and Sam's like, listen to yourself. So, he's, you know, like, he's like, well, maybe the old man's right. He's like, just stop. And he, he pulls out like a, a tissue from his pocket. He's like, stop. Then he takes out a pen and he's like, hey, stop. And and he was like, why? He's like, because there are other stuff going down, other poop at play. And he was like, what? Like, we are signaling to the ground. We're talking to the ground to let them know that we are in trouble. And he's like, we? Who's we? We. And then he kind of motions to the pilot. The pilot like, kind of like raises his hand a little bit. So then he's like, listen, if the guns are fake, this could be over in a heartbeat. It It's like you said, You know, we could just enjoy the movie. And Sam's like, true, but if the guns are real, he's like, how can you say this? I'm telling you, they're real. How could you possibly say that? Listen to me, okay? If you want to get the better of someone, you've got to put yourself in their shoes. You've got to think like they think. Now, what if I made you hijack a plane of this size? Do you imagine how daunting that would be? Then how do you think you'd feel if I told you to do it with a toy gun? What would you say, Hugo? I'd tell you what you'd say. You'd say, no. You'd say, I need a gun to protect myself for when the passengers try it on because you're not stupid right you would have thought it through so you stay out of this yes and he's like but he's like no you stay out of it for your own safety got it and he kind of like sits and like looks at the pilot and then he he's like he's like sod it he's like you don't get to decide who does what no one appointed you so he hits the call button and then a flight attendant lady and uh, the lady hijacker come up he's like oh i don't feel good it's like i feel sick so the lady hijacker, she's like, "How sick? You gonna puke? Is that what you're saying?" He's like, "I think so." She then she's like, "Okay, take him, but don't flush the toilet. Keep the door open." And he's like, "Hmm." Uh-huh. So the flight attendant's like, "Sorry," and the lady's like, "Well, if he's gonna be sick, I want to see it. And if he's BSing, well, he's got himself another problem." He's like, "You still feeling sick?" He like, he's kind of like, "Oh crap," but he's like, he nods. So he's taken to the toilet. And then he leans over and he's like writing on a toilet as he's leaning over. But he can't get the pen to work. He starts like coughing and, and gagging. Then the, the lady comes up and she's like, time's up. And she's like, get him out. And he like shoves his fingers down his throat, whatever. As he's pulled out, he like tosses a napkin by Arthur, the flight attendant. He kind of sees it. Then the lady looks at the toilet. Is that it? Pathetic. And she kicks the flush button. So then uh, some other passengers see the napkin. This one lady finally like reaches and, and she reads it. Check floor for bullet. Um something bullet turn on reading light. If it's if there's no bullet. I couldn't really see because a hand was in the way. So Incible, Incible calls uh the cockpit and they they're like, We've been trying to reach, you know, we're trying to contact for five minutes. Do you read? Hugo says that he managed to get a message to business. He's like, We'll see what happens. Sam's like, You're a fool. And Hugo's like, I'm a fool? You put them in danger. So then the, the he's like, This from the man who gave the hijackers a gun back. And then the, the the pilot is told to to get up. Pilot says that every time they cross a border, this is gonna you know keep happening. So the boss man hijacker number one guy in charge, he's uh, he's like get on it. So pilot talks. He says they're dealing. They're they're getting a reading of three two three. Is that correct? Maintaining an altitude of thirty four thousand. And they're like two nine. You are twelve miles outside your airway. He's like outside. Yes, that is correct. We had some crosswinds to contend with, b- but we are now. Then they're like, please return to airway two. And he's like doing that as we speak. Insible apologies. Thank you, Kingdom two nine. We wish you happy onward journey. So he changes. Uh, he changed it back. So from three two three, whatever degree, three degrees. This other passenger tells the guy next to him that his uncle is going to need his insulin. So then the other guy says that it's in his bag, like it's an overhead compartment. So the first guy says, it's, it's he's like, it's best to ask the Muslim boy. And the second one, he's like, he's no Muslim. So they're talking about beard guy. He asks beard guy hijacker if he can get something for an overhead, a medical bag for his uncle. He's like, no. And he's like, it's right there. I said no. Then he's like, why are you being so difficult, man? It's right there. He's like it's like, you can see it. I said no. He's like, I can show you, he gets up. He's like, look, he needs his medicine. Beard guy shoves him back down, and he says shut up or he'll give him a different kind of medicine, and he points the gun in his face. He's like, understand? He's like, trust me, you have no idea who you are dealing with. So this guy's like very angry. The boss man tells the number two uh, hijacker, and uh, I don't even know if he's really a number two, but whatever, and the lady's like, no more toilet breaks, no more fussing. He's like, they sit still or they go back to the bag. I, I just don't know what that means so then go back to the bag i guess make an example of someone right and then the lady who who got the note she starts um she, she gets out she starts looking for the bullet another passenger she's like tells her it's like sit down so number two says he's like you said we wouldn't and the lady's like we've got no choice and then he's like no we went through this he's number two's like i asked you straight up and you gave me your word bossman's like we have to mate or we're gonna lose this so what are they talking about back to the bag the lady's still crawling around looking, and a number two sees her. So he goes back. He's like, "What are you doing?" And she pulls up. Uh, he pulls her up, and he's like, "I said, what are you doing?" And she's like, "I lost my glasses." Lucky for her, there were a pair on the floor. So he picks them up, and he like tells her, "Like get back in her seat." And then uh, the lady start starts yelling. She's like, "I swear to God, somebody's gonna get shot!" All right, you keep this up, somebody's gonna get a bullet. <laughs> it's like, geez, like calm down, lady." hugo says to sam he's like there's no bullet she said that then somebody she's like then somebody gets a bullet but there's no bullet he's like i told him if they can't find anything if they're sure that there's nothing turn on the reading light sam like sits up a little to look back and the the lady turns off her her reading light i that was kind of confusing to me i had to like i actually rewound it it's like she turned it off so was it on and then she turned it off did she turn it on and off to hugo he's like it's not enough then he was like Reading like means no bullet. No bullet means blanks. That's what he said. Oh, it means they couldn't find a bullet. It's like, we could end this. Oh, we could get a lot of people killed. So then Marsha, Sam's ex, she has to give a lecture. So that's what she said. She had a busy day. Sam sees uh, that the plane's back on course on, on the screen. Zara goes over what they know. She's talking to people. 35 minutes after departure, pilot makes a distress call at ATC, citing a definite security incident. Then seven minutes later, calls back, says the issue's been resolved. False alarm his mistake. Then three minutes after that passenger sends a text reestablishing the idea that there's an incident. Then the plane enters Iraqi airspace. It mysteriously starts diverging dude. It's like, where are you getting all this? And then this other lady is like, and the internet's down. And Zara's so like, this is all coming from air traffic controllers in the Gulf. And then they, they put Alice up on, on the zoom. She starts talking. They're like, uh, I think she's on mute, <laughs> which is, is funny. And she's like, oh, I was just saying that there are precedents for this. Pilots would say one thing and do another. Zigzag so the ground realizes there's a problem. She's like, if I could share my screen. So they went three degrees out due to weather conditions. But ATC and Turkey have just told us the pilot put the plane back on its intended route. But then look at the angle of the return. It's too acute. If they continue in that heading, then someone's like, it's going to do what you suggested earlier. So Zara's like, it's going to zigzag. And then she's like, here we go right now. Look, that's a definite overcorrection. And then on the screen, it also says four hours and 34 minutes of destination. So the pilot messages on, on the game to Sam's like, I had to change the course. And the boss man walks, walks by. He's like, what's this? Who are you writing to? And the pilot, like, sh- 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 he like deletes the message. He's like, what? No one. So boss man sees the screen. It this chat to opponent. And he "Is like, this online? The pilot's like, no. He's like, who? Answer me. So the pilot just sits there and Bossman smacks him with his pistol. And then Sam's like, Hey, he's like, This is the pilot. How stupid are you, lot? And the Bossman gets pissed, goes over to Sam, What'd you say to me? He's like, I'm just saying. What are you saying to me? And he has a gun sticking out. I'm just saying. I meant, you've got to think. He goes to swing, but then Sam grabs his wrist. He's like, No, stop. The lady runs in with her gun. Let him go. He's like, All right, I am. But he's still holding Bossman's wrist and he's with the gun. She points her gun to another passenger like, next to her. She's like, now. He's like, I'm letting him go. And he like locks eyes with, with Bossman and let lets go. He's like, all right. His hands are out. Bossman's like, right, down, eyes down, stay down. I've had enough of your poop. Put your hands in your lap where I can see them and don't move. And then he's like, now I'm going to crack you on top of the head with the butt of my gun. If you try and block me or stop me, move out of the way, she's going to pull a trigger. Do you, like, do you understand me? He's like, do you understand me? He's like, yes. He's like, good. You stay still. He raises his gun. He's like, stay still and you smile. Smile like you want me to hit you. Smile like you're happy. And he like tries smiling. He's like, that ain't a proper smile, mate. It's like, we all want to see a nice smile. He's like, smile. So Sam smiles. He's like, say cheese. Say it. Go on. Say cheese and all it stops. It's like, say it, Sam Nelson. And he's like, cheese. He's like, that's it. Raises a gun. Sam shuts his eyes. Bossman swings the gun down. But it like passes like right, right past him. And he's like smiling. Then he's like, turn off all the screens. All the screens for the rest of the flight. So then he and the lady walk away. Hugo says to Sam, he's like, see, I told you. He's like, if that was me, I would have shot you. Made an example out of you, but he can't, can he? He's like, Hugo? He's like, this is what I've been talking about. He's like, shut the fudge up. Marsha's introduced to talk. She's a professor of physics, we find out. Uh, she t- she talks about going away with a partner for a weekend. Her son asked if he could have a party. So she said yes. A couple miles from the place her her partner I think when they're coming back her partner's like let's not go back he's like that way there's no damage if we don't see it it didn't happen but she's like oh, or it could all be fine she's like i want to see that and then as she's talking we see kai exits a flat so i don't know where he's going whatever so she says that as physicists what does this remind us of and someone's like schrodinger's cat and she's like yes where more than one thing could be true and we see the plane now as she's talking so she's probably you know kind of thinking about that she's like maybe everything's fine maybe not maybe it really is as bad as we've been fearing and we see the guy who needs us insulin is like suffering and she's like that is a paradox that is a problem we find ourselves until we take action till we investigate there remains a duality and we see hugo looking at sam sam just like said he like closed his eyes and she's like, it is our only act of looking that forces nature's hand. And Sam opens his eyes. And he looks at boss man by the cockpit, holding the gun with his finger by the trigger. Then he leans forward to talk to the lady next to Hugo. Ask if he can prove it, if they're blanks. Ask if he can prove that they're blanks. Or is he just guessing? So she asks, the guy's name is Yusuf. And he says that he believes there are blanks, but without examining the guns himself, how can he be certain? So she tells Sam that he, you know, he, he he can't tell unless he actually examines it. Number two walks past Arthur, the flight attendant. He gets up and he goes to Hugo and he asks if he was the one, you know, asking about the bullet. And then he's like, We had one. And this is like you're super risky that the flight attendant's doing this. He's like, We had one, we found one. And he's like, You did it in business? He's like, No, just after takeoff. Some girls in the economy found one in a toilet. One of the hijackers took it back. And, but but they had it. They had it in their hands and it was there. So then the other flight attendant, she calls Arthur back. So he gets back in the seat just in time as number two because he like went to went, walk past him into the galley and then walk coming back down the other side. So he just barely made it. So Sam asked the lady to ask Yusuf if it would help to see what the bullets look like. Nephew guy is talking to bearded guy again. He's like, you know, you can't just sit there and watch his uncle get sick. One of the girls asked bearded guy, he's like, what's your problem? So other passengers start, like, raising their voices. And they're they're like, you're antagonizing him. The third girl's like, his uncle is dying. And another guy says that, you know, he understands. It was frightening for, for all of them. Bearded guy, he's like he seems like he doesn't like that comment. You know, he doesn't want to be, because it's like they kind of said that he's scared too. But, you know, he's supposed to be Mr. Tough Guy because he's got his fake gun or if it's fake or not. Yusuf is uh, doing two drawings in his book. Drawing A is a normal bullet, this looks like a regular bullet. Drawing B is a blank, and the um, lady passenger says that whoever saw it just needs to say which one they saw. So Yusuf, his wife, hands the page to Sam, and she's like, that's that. That's it now. It's like, after this, you keep my husband out of this. So Sam looks at it, and he looks back. Then to Hugo, and, and the lady, he's like, okay, here's the plan. So then, and then it changes scene. So we don't know what the plan is. The foreign secretary is on her way to where uh, Zara, Lydia, and the others are. Uh, the dude says that they need to establish something for foreign contact. You know, Romania and Hungary should know why unresponsive passenger plane is headed towards him. Um, another says the ministers have been briefed. Um, they'll have a response in 30. And then Zara gets a call and she excuses herself. So she's talking to Daniel, um, uh, Marsha's boyfriend. And like the, the cop, he asks if she's getting the manifest personally. You know, if she can forward it to him, you know, he'd appreciate it. She's like, you know, I can't do that. And he's like, but I can run the pastor names through PNC. This must be some police search thing to see who's got a criminal record. She's like, they'll be doing that anyways. And he's asked, then then why are you tell me all of this? And he's like, one minute there's a problem, then there's not. And she's like, "Would you prefer not to be updated?" He's like, "I'm just asking what you want me to do with this information." And she's like, "Look, you have a personal interest, right?" He's like, "Yes." Yeah, so let me do something. Just send me the names, please. Cesar so gets called back, and Daniels says he's like, "I'm good at what I do." So he's like, I'm not just gonna sit here and do nothing. Sam looks up at the cockpit. Boss man turns on the Wi-Fi, and there's and there's like a clearly a marked switch that the pilot said he couldn't find. It's like it says Wi-Fier. He gets on his phone. He makes a call. And, and then it's he's asked to leave a message. It's like an answer machine or a voicemail. So then he's like, operation has commenced. The plane is under control. Your move. And then he ends the call. Here's like the flight attendant talking to the lady or to like, just ask him. So she tells the flight attendant to just, just stay there. And boss man says, you know, two and a half hours in, you know, he's like, we'd have been in our seats until now. This is when we were meant to have started. So she says, does that mean you've made the call? And he just nods. And she's like, and are they happy? What did they say? He's like, that's the thing. It was just voicemail and that's not supposed to happen. They're supposed to be waiting at this time for the call. Then she's like the cabin crewman, she wants to talk. So he goes to her. She says that she wanted to mention that they'd normally be preparing the meal service right now. It's like, they probably don't want her doing that today. And he's, and she's like, no, the lady says that. And she says that, you know, she's been doing this 15 years, the hungrier and thirstier to get the harder it gets. And the lady's like, nobody's eating, yeah? And she's like, all right, just just putting it out there. Then boss man's like, water, one each, that's it. Alice talks to Lydia. So some people keep calling, you know, if they don't, you know, talk to them, you know, it's going to escalate quickly. So th- this lady, Heidi, calls Zara. I, um, all 216 names from the manifest were run through the police national computer. Only one had any serious convictions? Attempted murder, two counts of armed robbery. He was released from prison just three weeks ago. So, Zara's like name. So, Collins, John T. Collins, seat thirty-seven C. So, it's this dude. He has like you can see he has like tattoos like on his neck and you know under his shirt, and like on his chest, whatever. So, Zara's like one. That's it. She's like, are you sure? There's no one else? And this lady's like, I mean, there are lesser ones. One for repeated drink driving offenses. It's you see a. a picture of this old dude one for trying to make the blame for her partner's repeated drunk driving offenses it's a dude's wife one for vat fraud and i was like wait who's that what's vat so this the the vat fraud was the guy that came in late his name is alec watkin i feel like there's something up with him the fact that they showed him specifically being late um so i looked up vat fraud so vat's value added tax it's something in a european union so just like money whatever stuff so then Zara's like, did you check everything? And she's like, yes. She's like, watch list databases. Have you gone through all that? She's like, I did what you asked me to do. She's like, she's like, duh. So Zara's like, yeah, okay, thank you. And then the, the screen says four hours and 12 minutes left. So Zara's thinking, and she looks at the manifest list, and it's marked like highly confidential. She sends an encrypted copy or encrypted file to Daniel. So she's not supposed to do that. Water's being passed out. Sam hands uh, the drawing to the flight attendant. And she slightly slides it back to Arthur, like over the top of the, the cart. The lady flight attendant offers water to the bearded guy to kind of like distract him. Arthur talks to Naomi. She's the girl who found a bullet. And he's like, which did you see? If it was A, do nothing. If it was B, and you're sure it's B, turn on your reading light. So she like looks at the drawing. A is like a regular bullet, which is what I thought it was. But now I don't remember because I didn't look that carefully. So B, is it's, it's kind of sloped more to like a almost like a harsher, like flatter point or something like that at the top, like on the sides are sort of squeezed in. The foreign secretary, maybe is like stuck in traffic. She says to the dude next to her, she's like, I'm not walking. And then he's like, well, what about a police escort? And she's like, how long will that take? He's like 15 to 20. And she's like, what about walking 10 to 15? So she's like, she takes off her high heels, hands it to him. I guess she must have put on sneakers and like that. They get out of the car. They're going to walk to, the, to the, the building. Flight attendant calls Arthur. So he goes back to Naomi and he's like, I think we can all see what's going on here. Can't we? It's like no need for a reading light. Not in the middle of the day. Shall we switch it off? And she like nods. He's like, you sure? And the other girl's like, yeah, we're all sure. So Arthur makes his way to first. The boss man asks like, what was that? All that moving about back there. And Arthur's like, oh, sorry. It was just a passenger crying. Just a girl in 23B. And, and he uh, kind of looks at Sam and t- emphasize the B. And then Sam says to Hugo, you know, be for blinks. And he he says uh, to the lady pastor, he's like, tell him that he was right. This changes everything. Sarah so calls Daniel. He says that he ran all 260 names through the PNC. There's only one that comes up with any sort of serious criminal record. She's like, yeah, we, we, you know, I know Collins. And Daniel's like, but here's the thing. Five of the names don't come up at all. There are five pastors that failed to register on any national database. The passports are valid somehow, but the five people I've just sent you, they do not exist. So Marcus, the, the guy, um, Marcus Terry, he's one of them. Zara calls Lydia, says that these are their hijackers. So we see number two, his name is actually Ryan, lady terrorist. Her name is Bella bearded guy. His Name is Alexander. And then boss man is Gerald. Those are the names on her passport. So maybe not their real names. Hugo's like, If everyone on this plane knew what we knew, we could take them down. And Sam's like, no, Hugo, we have to be smart. Can't get into a brawl. It's just you and me. We can't afford to put any uh, of the other pastors at risk. And he's like, wait, what? You and me? And Sam's like, you're the one pushing for this. And he's like, yeah, I know. But I." he's like, you want to be part of everything that happens. I, I, I did want to be part of. So this is it right now. okay? We isolate one of them. The, the most vulnerable one, we take him out, check his gun and move on to the next. Yes. He's like, oh, 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 God. Oh, oh, okay. The old guy at the back, he's got the most passions to look after. There's no one on the other side. He is isolated. If we get to him, we take him out. So it's it's just funny because, you know, Hugo's all like, like oh, we got to do something. We got to do something, blah, 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 and everything like that. But then when it, it comes down to it, he's, he's like all scared. You know, he, he doesn't actually want to do anything because he's just a baby, I guess. So nephew guy undoes his seatbelt after bearded guy walks by. He goes in compartment and bearded guy sees him. He's like, get back in your seat. He's like, I will. I just need to grab. I told you, get in your seat. What did I tell you about the bag? He's like, I've almost got it. What did I tell you? And Hugo's looking back. And then the lady, Bella or whatever, she yells, face the fudge forward. Sit down. Then he's like, Can you you see that? What's going on? And Hugo's like, I d I, I don't know, I can't see. Bearded guy grabs a bag, slams it down, and, and then he grabs nephew, throws him down. I fudge and told you. You don't fudge and do that again. And people are like it's not all screaming and commode, you know, commotion and stuff like that. Then uh, I, I think it was I think number two comes up to the Lady says it's all kicking down back there and Sam whispers, Okay, this is our chance. He's like, I don't and he was like, I don't I don't think I can I don't I don't think I can do it. In the bearded guy's like, I'm going to teach you a fudging lesson. And then someone else reaches for the bag. Don't fud- fudging, touch it. He kicks it down the aisle. Sit down. Sam looks up his side and he sees Marcus, uh, boss man, you know, runs up from the cockpit. He's like, the fudge you doing? And he goes back to the commotion. The lady and number two are still pretty close to Hugo. So Sam gets up and Hugo whispers, like, oh, fudge. So you know, Sam kind of ducks down and heads out on his side. He ducks in a galley. He sees boss man go into an overhead compartment. He asks uh, the flight attendant if the other side's clear. So she, she like, looks number two and Lady are still kind of looking the other way. So he goes and he kind of like crouches down and you know goes down the, the, the section ops on the other side where boss is like looking in overhead compartment. He has something in his hand. It looks like this looks like a green shirt, but maybe it's a, one of the must be one of the travel kits. Uh, Sam tells Tom and Jerry the two guys that are tied up. Like shh. The nephew charges at bearded guy when his back's turned and he tries tackling him. Bearded guy starts hitting him in the back. They're like struggling. They'll start getting shoved back. Sam ducks and he like starts down like on the opposite side. Marcus starts yelling and waving his gun, telling people to sit down. Boss man's in the cockpit and he starts taking bullets out of his gun cartridge. And then the nephew tries crawling to the medicine. Bearded guy kicks him in the back. Lady tells Hugo, face forward. Then she notices Sam's missing and she asks Hugo, like, where is he? other guy I don't know if he's other nephew I, I think he he grabbed scissor, there was like scissors on the floor from the, the medicine kit As, and they're struggling with that I think he might have stabbed number two and he kind of didn't realize it because of just all adrenaline and everything moving around Sam's like crawling he gets to the back he grabs kind of like this metal drawer this, this tray he slams Marcus in the face Marcus like stumbles back and then he grabs like a drawer or something like that he throws it at Sam he tries kicking him he grabs an empty coffee pot smashes it as, as he like ducks other pastor comes back as, as Sam's like on the ground Marcus looks at him and it's like oh crap did they know each other but then he swings the broken coffee pot out so I think this was a prison guy Collins or whatever and then uh, he punches Marcus in the face. Sam scrambles scrambles back, and he grabs like a fire extinguisher, like a little one, and he sprays Marcus in the face with it. It's like, why don't you just hit him with with it in in the in the head or something like that? Passengers notice um, <laughs> the mom's like uh, the 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 knowing mom. The little girl is is out of her seat. So it's like, where did where'd she go? <laughs> it's it's like, how's this little girl? And why would she get up? You think she would be like like shrunk down into her seat. Marcus uh, charges, and he, he knocks Sam down. He picks up the broken coffee pot. Prison guy grabs him from behind, but then he gets an elbow in the face. Prison guy gets... little. <laughs> the little girl's like crawling on the floor somewhere, like between seats, I don't know. Sam kicks Marcus down front from the floor, and then Marcus slowly picks up his gun, and he points it at Sam, and he tells prison guys, you know, get the fudge out of here. And Sam's like, we know they're blinks. So boss man... So the the bag that he took, there's other bullets in there. So he must have real bullets in there. that They weren't in the gun. So he's putting real bullets now in his gun. He he ejected the blanks. He's putting real bullets in. Everyone is like looking for Lizzie, the little girl. Then boss man, his gun is loaded. He starts heading back. And Sam's like, so go on then. Pull a fudging trigger. So Marcus is just staring at him. And then, bam! Sam kind of flinches, but then the shot changes to outside the plane, like the overhead shot of the plane. So Marcus, maybe Marcus sh- fired or did boss man get back there and shoot? Did Sam get shot or did he get shot over his head? Cause I don't think you'd want a bleeding passenger on the plane. have to deal with that, but that's where it ends. <laughs> so <laughs> just that little girl crawling around is like, okay, whatever. So, um, yeah, that was, that was, that was a good episode. It's just getting intense. Then with Secret Invasion season one or episode three, Betrayed, I've been liking the show. You know, I, I do like that it's, you know, it has that spy thriller action. It, you know, it, it Winter Soldier is my favorite Marvel movie. It's, it's just, you know, it's, it's kind of separate. You know, I love the Avengers movies. I love all our, our, you know big action or stuff like that. But there's something about Winter Soldier is it's just, it just such a cool movie. And it's a little more grounded. So I, I don't know if that makes it more realistic or whatever, you know, even though we're talking superheroes and all that. But let's see. So Secret Invasion is, is cool because, you know, it, it's taking like a different angle to, from, you know, what we've seen. We've had so much Marvel content recently and I've been enjoying it all I know some people are like all uh, whatever you know moaning and complaining about, about anything that they can that being said I'm gonna kind of moan and complain a little bit I thought this episode was just okay I don't know I I think part of the problem what what's kind of taking away from me is Gravik you know he he's supposed to be you know the, the big big baddie in this he's one causing all, all the problems I just I, don't, I mean, I get what he's doing. That he's mad and he's angry. You know, he lost his his parents, lost her home, and then, you know, he's mad that you know Nick Fury said that he was going to find him a home, and it still hasn't happened. And and so now he just wants to kill everyone on Earth and and take the planet. So it's like, okay, I don't know. I just it it's it's almost like you know has he really thought everything through? I I guess is is a big question. So, this episode starts. Beto asks Pagan and, and another a scroll, like, if they think it's going to work, you know, bring in chaos. And Pagon asks Beto, like, you know, why'd you join the resistance? And he said that, you know, he didn't want their people to keep running. And Pagan says that, you know, he's like, I joined for the same reason. He's like, not fear of the past, you know, uh, but faith in our, our future. And all faith is built on risk. So that's what we have to, to take, yeah? And he's like, yeah. And Pagon gives the other scroll and Beto officer, like, service files and, like, one for himself. So then Gravik goes into like the, the lab room with like the big device. Uh, members of the council arrive, and Gravik says that at the meeting, he said he had a plan for taking Earth as their own. He's like, I sent three operatives to infiltrate the Royal Navy and execute a strike on, on a key United Nations target. It's like, the heroes of Earth will react. And the only way we can counter that and to claim this planet as our own is become super ourselves. So we see, like, the scientist lady, like, looking through a microscope and there's, like, a sample on a slide or whatever. And, you know, the, the cells are, like, moving and mutating or whatever. He's like, now nah, we no longer just change faces. We change powers. He's like, we're going to be uniquely programmed weapons of mass destruction. All of us. Super scrolls, Which is, like, in the comics. It's like, humans will be in all-out war with each other within a week. And while they're at each other's throats, we're going to break their backs. He's like... I'll invite you to join me in the extinction of the human race. Cuts back to New York city, 1998. Uh, Fury enters is like diner late at night and it's raining outside. Waitress asks if he's looking for someone. He's like, yeah, I am. And then waitress is like, what's she look like? He's like, it depends on a day of the week. So he kind of like looks around and this lady, there's this lady in the booth and he goes up to her. He leans over. He's like, Vara. And then she takes out a envelope from uh, a book that she has on the table. She's like, this should put Drakov's men on her heels. So Dracov, that's uh, the dude, the Red Room guy from Black Widow, right? Then her hand kind of lingers on his as he goes to take it. So he sits and he's like, this new face of yours is, she's like beautiful and kind of, they both kind of chuckle. And then she's like, I agree. And Fury's like, who is she? Vara is like, well, that depends on where this goes. And he's like, no, 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 no. He's like, there's a rule that you know, commander of a station and operatives cannot be. She's like, our unit doesn't exist, Fury. That means I don't work for you. And he's like, that's an intriguing possibility. So this must be when uh, Fury and his scroll wife first met. So in the present, uh, we got this dude on on TV. So I, I think the the network it was I forgot what it was called. I, I saw someone mention that this was the same network scene, first seen on Daredevil, the Netflix Daredevil show. So now they're saying, does this mean Daredevils can't? It's like, no. It just means that multiverse, that this network exists, whatever. So I don't think this is saying that Netflix Daredevil is in the MCU. It could be, but it doesn't necessarily confirm it. So the guy's going on. is It's like this whatever smarmy TV guy ranting that, you know, does anyone you know, out there, seriously trust our leaders and blah, 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 whatever. So he's in the kitchen watching and then Vara or Priscilla, cause that's what he called her, or that's what she's listed as turns off to TV. She's like, so I, I guess Vara is her scroll name, but when she, in her human identity, she's took on the name Priscilla is w- what I gather. So she's like, how can you watch that poison? And he made breakfast for them. And she mentions him being in space. And, and she's like, dare I ask what calamity must have transpired to bring you home to me? She's like, it has been years. He's like, if you want me to apologize for me being gone, Scylla, just say so. She's like, darling, you are Nick Fury. I never harbored any illusions about the necessity of you going away. But staying away, that leaves a mark. He's like, I retired. And she's like, any plans for the downtime? He's like, well, you know I never cared much for golf. So I'm thinking I may take up revenge. You've been in touch with Gravik while I was gone? And why are you asking me that? Because I just need to be sure. And she's like, about what? Who you become while I was gone? And she's like, I became a widow in your absence. I wept on your pillow every night. I grieved for you. And just when I thought I'd gotten past a heartbreak, you came back in a blip. And silly me, I thought, you know, we were going to undo all that pain together, go back to the way we were before. But no, you just up and vanish again. Only this time it was voluntary. So if you're interested in who I became in your second absence, I became me, the me I was before you. What other choice did I have? You kept disappearing. Almost like you were never here in the first place. And you hear like a phone buzz. Nick's like, doesn't really say anything for a bit, you know, taking in everything she says. And finally he's like, don't ignore it because of me. So he like turns his back. She like answers phones, like some man's voice. And she's like, I don't have that information at hand right now. You two take care. And he's like, something important. She's like, nope. And she gives him a little smooch. And then she leaves the room. Gaia is woken up by Gravik. She's like, what is it? What's happened? And he's like, Brogan. And she's like, what about him? So Gravik's like, well, someone told the cops where we were headed. And only we knew that. It was me, you, Pagan, and Beto in the car. So it's hard for Brogan to confess something he didn't know. And she's like, not so hard. And he's like, oh, yeah? How do you figure? She's like, Brogan under torture? I imagine when they asked him where they could find you, he was forced to make an educated guess. And Gravik's like, is that what you do? And she's like, I'd lie. It's like, I'm a good liar and kind of chuckles. He's like, okay. So she's like, it was Brogan. He was weaker than you thought. And he's like, all right, see you tomorrow early. You're coming with me. Then Gravik and Gaia, they get off a private plane. She's driving a car. And then he's like, your father called for a parlay. She's like, apparently we're meeting about you. So then he gets a call and he's like, right on schedule. He's like, the UN plane will be at Neptune's coordinates, 2,200 hours. So he gets out. She waits in the car as he goes into this building. Then she takes out her phone, and she starts texting flight 819, Neptune 2200. So at this point, I'm wondering, like, was this a trap? You know, because he's talking about the information and only them knowing. And then he specifically says, like, the, the flight and name and number, whatever, while she's there. So Gravic is like in this art museum, Talos comes up to him and he, Graphics talking about this World War One painting, the the statesmen are, are gathered. He says, that's the difference between them and soldiers. He's like, they gather while the soldiers fight. He's like, I mean, look at that fat, smug smile on his face. And he goes on about how he'd rather have his story written in blood than ink and paint. And Talos is like, yeah, and everyone else's too. He's like, you know, he's talking about everyone else's blood. So then they go to like the museum, cafeteria or whatever, and they're having some coffee. Gravix like putting like a lot of sugar in his espresso. And he asks Talos if he wants any. He's like, What I want is for you to stand down and stop murdering innocent humans. So is like, you know, I would be doing us both a favor if I just put you out of your misery right here. And Talos is like, You want an honor meeting, mate? He's like, go ahead, say the a word. And Gravis like, It would be wouldn't be proper, would it? A general challenging his subordinate to knives, he's like, "Are you honestly puzzled as to why the council would prefer me as general over the likes of you?" And then he's like, "Guy is in, in the car. Want to come say hello?" And Talos like, "You want to be very, very careful now." And Gravik's like, "You should be grateful that I haven't sent her back to you in a body bag yet." And then Talos lunges at Gravik's throat, and then all the customers' tables around him they all shape shift into Gravik, and Gravik, you know, holds up his hand, and then they change back. So Talos is like, that's what it's, this is all about, isn't it? You're going to take our people to the edge of extinction with a war with the humans? And he's like, all these miscreants know is murder. Look at how they treat each other. And Talos like, you don't understand the first thing about humans. They're at their most formidable when they're threatened by a common foe. And Graves like, have you forgotten how we fight? Talos like, you think I'll let you continue this war under the cover of anonymity? you're very much mistaken i'm going to tell every army on earth who it is that's attacking them you'll lose the element of surprise you and your rebels will be put down like the rabid dogs you are and grab like then you'll be responsible for the extension extinction of our people and tell us like that's where you're wrong they will see the difference between us we who haven't been infected by your sickness and Grabic's like so then guy stays with me then is it and then Talos grabs, uh, he stabs Gravik's hand on the table with a knife, and he stands up. He's like choking him by the neck. He's like, Now, until the end of time, my daughter's name stays out of your mouth. Got it? And Talos leaves, and Gravik, he just like pulls his hand, and, like slices his hand out of the blade, and then he just like heals his hand, shape shifting it. Outside, this older dude kind of like bumps into Talos and apologizes. And he picks up his phone. He's like, oh, I believe this is yours. I'm not really sure what that was about. It's like, did he pickpocket his phone and give him a fake phone? I don't really know what the point of that scene was. Maybe I missed something. Gravik um, comes out looking like the follow, whatever. And then, you know, a truck passes by. So he kind of loses sight. So he goes back to the guy in the car. Then we see Talos in a pub. Fury comes in. At first, I'm like, okay, is this Fury or not? So he uh, kind of leans behind him. He's like, you really going to eat that plate of dog food? And Tal's like, I was made, just lost my appetite. Oh, that's a first. And Tamil's like, you're shameless. And he's like, anyone would who would say what he said yesterday on the train and then have the balls to come up in here and ask for help. Pierre's like, I didn't ask for your help. Then he's like, what are you here to have an English breakfast, mate? He's like, are you here to inquire after my well-being? Pierre's like, look. I got a lead on a rebel scroll that's high up in the U.S. government. And he's in London right now. And Talos like, and? And? And what can I do for you? Furious, he's like, I just told you. And Talos is like, no, you just told me you had a, a line on a scroll. He's like, you want me to jump up and take the lead? Those days are gone. He's like, so I'm going to need you to, you know, use your words. Say the words. And Fury's is like, say what words? And he whispers, help me Talos, because I'm useless without you. So Fury stands up and goes to the other side. He's like, help me, Talos, because I am useless without you. So Talos puts some money down on, on the counter and he, he walks up. So in the car, Talos says Gaia handed intel on a phone. So she, she texted him. And Fury's like, brave girl. He's like, yeah, her mom was a good role model. So Fury's like, Neptune is a British sub. I know who to call. He calls Sonia at her office. And she's like, whoever this is, you shouldn't have this number. And he's like, what do you know about a British submarine called Neptune? She's like, first, I want an apology. He's like, I just gave away the only one of those I had today. She's like, well, you'll have to double down because you rather rudely attach a nasty bug to my beloved hoot. <laughs> and she has like the owl like clock statue thing on her desk. He's like, tell me that's not the name of your owl clock. She's like, no, not anymore. He has a new name now, Nicholas Fury. He has a rather dashing little eye patch now. <laughs> and she puts she's literally putting like an eye patch over the owl to cover up the camera. And he's like, I'm serious, Sonia. I have it on good authority. Neptune is planning to launch on the UN delegation. That would mean World War III. And she's like, and why would they do something silly like that? Because at least one of Gravix rebels have infiltrated command. Can you make the call? She's like, unfortunately, I'm dealing with my own infiltration. Somebody leaked the location of the butcher's shop when I was doing some of my best work. So my hands are tied. And he's like, loose enough to give me the captain's name? She's like, his name is Commodore Robert Fairbanks. Bob, can I get a photo and address? And she's like, absolutely. Shall I tell him you're on your way? Yeah, tell him that. And then, you know, she hangs up the phone. But she actually does send him the information. Because like, a, there's a computer screen on the card dash. And it shows like his name and address. So Talos says that he doesn't get the, you know, they're driving. He's like, I don't get with dogs. He's like, interspecies relationships where one guy picks up the other's poop. And Fury's like, I've been doing that for you for years. And Talos is like, Is that what you think? He's like, When I first came in 1995, you were bench warming. You were bench warming nobody in a dumpy field office in Shield. And Fury's like, I wasn't bench warming. I was ascending the ranks. And Talos said that he didn't start ascending until him and nineteen others joined his invisible spy force. He's like every promotion, every time you stop the terrorist attack, ex- and all this stuff like that. He's like that was us and our intel. So they arrive at the place. Talos poses as the Commodore, as Bob, and he talks to a couple of guards. They're like, "Oh, we didn't know you. You we didn't see you come out." He's like, "Oh yeah, I'm just stepping, you know, out to, to get away from the old ball and chain." Then he like radios Nick. He's like, are you in position? And Fury's like, worry about your own damn self. (laughs) And then Talos like, Fury, don't ever change. So he's like walking and his cover gets blown. So there's like scroll guards or scrolls there. So Fury calls Talos and he's he's like, sorry, Nick. He's like, I was busy kicking Bob's butt. He's like upstairs, second door uh, on the the left. So Fury comes in with Bob's kid. He's got a gun to his head. Bob has a gun to Talos. So Fury's like, nobody calls me Nick, Bob. And then Fury then points uh, the gun at the kid's throat, like, you know, at his head. And Bob's like, he's like, I'll I'll let him go when you let my son go. And Fury's like, this is not a negotiation, Bob. So Bob drops his gun. Then he asks Talos to find something to, to tie them up. And he's like, sure thing, boss. And Fury sarcastically says, thanks for saving my life, Fury. Anytime, Talos. Then he looks at the computer screen. What you working on there, Bob? And the computer, there's a map like the submarine. And the plane, they're kind of like headed towards each other. And there's like a, a circle like where the missile range must be. On the sub, the, the sub captain gets new orders. And he's like, this has to be a mistake. He's like, it says to launch a missile at the U.S. flight. The dude delivering it, he's like, well, it's been authenticated. Talos tries giving the kid some water and he like refuses. Fury tells Talos that he can't get Bob to listen to reason, so he's gonna switch gears. And then Bob looks at Talos, and he's like, "Don't look at him. He's not gonna be helping your wife scrape your bloody goopy brains out of her carpet unless you call off that airstrike." No. Talos is like, and if you're afraid of going against Gravik, I can protect you. And Bob's like, "You couldn't protect yourself coming through that door. You're a shell of the general you used to be." So obviously, Bob is a scroll. And Fury asks, he's like, why don't you shapeshift into this guy's ass and call in an abort on a missile strike? Talos is like, great idea. Why didn't I think of that? Maybe because he's the only one that knows the code word. And Bob says, says that you can't blame Gravik that Talos left the power vacuum. He's like, he would have stood by Talos proudly. And then he, Talos is like, then stand with me now. And Bob's like, you're too late. And Fury's like, enough of this bull. And he shoots Bob in the leg. He's like, I'm giving you three seconds to give me that code, or I'm going to aim higher or maybe lower. He's like, one, two. Then Talos grabs a gun. Fury says that he's got minutes to figure out that code if he can't make this, you know, his friend tell him. Subcaptain reluctantly gets ready to launch. Bob says, he's like, you can't even keep your daughter's loyalty, or is she the spineless traitor feeding you information? Talos then shoots him in the chest. Bob dies and changes into scroll form. And then Talos calls Gaia. She sneaks away to answer and she's like, what is it? He says that he needs Commodore Fairbanks launch termination password now. So the scientist lady, she sees like a comm breach alert. So she knows like something's up. Gaia goes by the door with the two guards. She takes, you know, she hits one, takes a gun away uh, and points at the other. She takes them both out or something like that. Then she enters a room where all like all the prisoners are being held, and they got the little like mind zap thing going on. She looks at a, at a computer screen. Um, there's like memories, and she calls Talos, and he's like, "Okay, now run." So she just blew her cover to get this information. Uh, Sub captain, in his second initiate go position, they're getting ready. Computers, like launch sequence underway. Talos calls and says that he's Fairbank. Abort exercise. And a code word Zachary, which I think is a sun scene. Computer on the sub says abort launch. Then the second lunges up to so the second guy was obviously a scroll. He goes to hit the launch button anyways, but then they like stop him. Bob's computer's like launch it. So Gaia exits. She there's this old motorcycle under this tarp. She, she like wheels it out. Fury asks Talos why didn't he take Gravik's deal? Because you know like in his bone he probably agrees. Talos says. 30 years and you still don't know me better than, than that? And he like, like scoffs. He's like, alright, so make me understand. Uh, then Gravick's like, I'm not with Gravick because I'm with you. Gaia gets to the front gate. There's like no guard there, which is like convenient. She she walks through. She starts riding off. And then in front of her, like out of nowhere, like headlights turn on. She, so she like goes a skid. She r- kind of, you know, falls off the bike. So it's got to be a trap, right? Gravick asks where are you off to gaia and she's like i heard about the failed strike our men need exfiltration he's like i didn't fail that plane would have been valuable finding the traitor was essential and he's holding a gun to her so he's like go on turn around and she's like no you will look at me and you will ask yourself are you a leader of scrolls or our worst enemy bam shoots her and is so is she dead because then on the ground she's in scroll she's in scroll form and he gets in back in like the station wagon and he drives back. So they just killed Gaia. Or is, did she is she pretending to be dead? Because I don't remember if there was blood. and yeah, she was in scroll form, but in the comics, I think, I could be totally wrong, but I thought scrolls could like shapeshift her organs. And she, was, she wasn't, like, shot in the middle of the chest. She was shot... It looked like... and I, I could be remembering this wrong. I thought she was shot more, like, in the shoulder. So maybe you know, she figured she was going to be shot. Maybe she, like, tucked in away her heart, her vital organs. So she gets shot. She falls back. She, it hurts. But she changes into a scroll form and just lies still, hoping that that's going to be the only shot. Because it, it seems weird that they're just going to, you know, kill her, you know, three episodes and that's it. So then... Priscilla uh, Barra, she looks at her phone. She gets her coat on and bag and she heads out. She goes to this train station. Then she gets like a safety deposit box at this fancy uh, bank. Inside there's an envelope and there's a gun. And she uh, sets it back And when her phone buzzes. This man voice says, St. James Church one hour. And then Shrew responds I need to talk to Gravic. And then the guy's like, yeah, well you're talking to me. And it hangs up. And she looks at her phone. So, what does that mean? Who is she talking to? Is she on Gravic side? That's the end of the episode. So, um, is this because I mean, this this is called betrayal. So, is she, I mean, is it Gaia the betrayal or is it Priscilla or is it both? Don't know. Have to wait till this week or next week. Alright, then, new show, My Adventures with Superman. I think I I I saw there's only like five or six episodes, and then they dropped two at once. Which, that's like crazy. Hopefully there's more. This was just according to IMDb. I haven't read any information there. Maybe they just don't have anything else listed. Uh, So it's good. I, I watch it on Cartoon Network, Adult Swim, and I don't understand why it's necessarily on Adult Swim. It's you know, it's it's cool because it's basically like you know anime style, but not like uh, you. And I know when some people hear that, some people are like like Ugh, you know whatever because they're not accepting to other other things. It's not like hardcore anime. It's but it has it's 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 so good. I mean, the anime style I and mean, the art, the, the animation, it's so so good. There's something about it which I, I just it, it blows me away. So with this episode, like like or this show. Uh, it's weird that it's on late at night because I feel like that really limits the audience. It, it will show, you know, it does, does show on, on max, you know, 24 hours after uh, uh, whatchamacallit, a cartoon network. So I guess that opens it up to a wider audience. So it's weird that they would put it there. Maybe they're, they're saying, okay, so we can show it to the, the Adult Swim audience, you know, the older crowd. Maybe they can appreciate that. But it's weird because, you know, it's it's not like a kiddie show. It's not like watered down. But there are some kind of simple basic things. It's it's I don't know. But it was good. I, I enjoyed it. I'm sure some people will complain because you know, people can always find something to complain about. So uh, the first episode of Adventure of Normal Man Part 1, uh, It's it starts off in Smallville. We see Clark as a boy. There's a kite stuck in a tree. He's trying to jump. He can't reach it. Then there's this car like really close, like speeding down the road, and he's like, "You got to slow down. There's a pothole, you know, up the road." Um, then the the car hits the, the pothole because there's this lady which just has a, a baby in a car seat, and she's like distracted doing something, looking for, reaching for something. So then he runs, and then as he starts running, um, he he gets a burst of super speed, you know, that he doesn't realize. Because then he's like trying to slow it down, and and then he he manages to stop the, the car from hitting a tree and he just like looks at his hand. Cause he's like, how did I do that? Goes back to the tree with the kite. And then he goes, to, you know, crouches down, goes to jump. And suddenly he's flying. And then he's soaring all over the clouds, all over the fields. And, and it's just like, just like that. He, he figures out. And then he finally wonders, he's like, how am I doing this? He's like, who am I? Which is kind of like the theme of this episode, whatever. We get a little brief intro. Then it cuts. He's an adult. <laughs> He he has a bunk bed with with Jimmy, so he's in the bottom. The bed is like it's kind of like the L shape, so there's like space next to the bed for a desk underneath Jimmy. His alarm goes off, and you know he, Clark breaks it. So Jimmy's like today's a day, or I forget, maybe no Clark said that today's a day or something like that. Then we all see Lois at her place. She's like today's a day. You know she's getting up excited. They're talking about different things. So Lois wants a. She's talking, you know, her narration. She wants to tell a story that's going to make her a real reporter. Clark thinks that, you know, he's like, okay, I'm just going to be a normal reporter. I'm not going to use any powers, my powers. No more powers. And he sees a cat stuck in his street. So then he's like, okay, after this, no more powers. Just a normal man having a normal day. He goes, convenient story, like, goes open the door. He kind of breaks a handle. And he sees Lois for the first time. She's headed there, too. And they both kind of, like, blush a little bit because there must be, like, some little attraction between her. So she's at the counter and then Clark comes up and the store owner gives him like a hug and everything like that. And she's, she's like, oh, yeah, he helped with repairs and does all this stuff like that. And, and she gives him a bib or something like that because his new clothes. And he's like, no, don't bring out the bib. And and then she brings like three dozen donuts. He's like, oh, no, no, they're not for me or whatever like that. And then he like he goes. So he and Jimmy are like kind of running through the park because it's, it's their first day at the Daily Planet. Jimmy's like running with his camera. He's, he's like looking. stuff he almost gets hit by this like garbage truck crossing the road. You know, Clark manages to, you know, push him out of the way and he doesn't even realize it. Lois is in Perry's office and she's talking about these stolen robots in a military base. And she has the inside scoop. People need to know about this. And, you know, is he ready for her to tell a story? And he's like, no. He's like, you're an intern. The only reason I called you in was to meet them. You know, Clark and Jimmy are sitting on a couch. So he's like, they're the new interns. So show them the ropes. And Lois is like, but they can help with the story. And, and so Jimmy's like this conspiracy enthusiast. And he says, or he asks if she's ever thought about the, the robots can come from beyond the stars. And she's like, no, it actually came from like an army base. But then uh, Perry's like, new interns out, old interns stay. And he tells her that her job is not to report stories or leave the building. It's to teach interns to scan things and to get copy. That's it. And he's like, this is your last chance. So outside, she tells Clark and Jimmy, he's like, oh, Mr. Mr. White wants you to help me with my robot story. And, and then, you know, so she, like, starts heading off. And then he, like, Clark says something, and Jimmy realizes that Clark likes her. So then uh, the lady driving the truck, she has, has like, kind of shaved hair, you know, tough hair, hairstyle, whatever. Her name is Leslie Willis. So she goes to this warehouse where, all, like, all the stolen tech is. She tells this older guy, Badger, that they have no buyers, they all disappeared. So she's going to come up with a plan B. So it turns out, they, they, Lois takes Clark and Jimmy to meet her source. Her source is this little girl, Flip Johnson. She even has a like a, a handmade like business card. There's like clouds and like some rainbows, or whatever, and it says "Woman of Business." So Lois, they're at the convenience store or whatever, and Lois says that uh, she and I think there's like three others that they're, they're Daily Planet delivery kids, and they're like we call ourselves the, the News Kid Legion. And uh, they – because they see everything during their routes, so they know everything going on in the city. So to help out Lois, they want their own newspaper to be delivered with uh, the regular paper or something like that. And then she wants help like an, an essay for school or whatever – then she finally runs through all the stuff that they saw, this water main um, breaks by the city, whatever city, some library, whatever, you have city hall. There's rats somewhere or whatever. And there's a bunch of like garbage tr- or a bunch of trucks head somewhere. And Clark's like, were they garbage trucks? Cause he's like, you know, that's what almost hit Jimmy. Uh, he doesn't say that part, but then he's like, you know that'd be a good way to transport stolen goods. And then the girl like knows where they all headed to. So Clark asks Lois is like, is Perry you know, really okay with this? And then she looks at her text, and it's like, "Lois, get back now." And then she lies. She's like, "Oh yeah, that was just him. He can't wait to see the story." So um, they're outside. There's like this window. He kind of helps her. He tries like boosting her up so she can go into the window. Then he like she like slips, and then he like catches her. And they're like looking at each other, like lock eyes, and they're both embarrassed, whatever. And Jimmy's like, "Like oh, the door's open." They go inside. It's empty. So all everything has been moved out of there. And then they find some some little thing on the ground. that says PM. So Jimmy has a bunch of conspiracy ideas, like what PM could stand for and everything like that. And then Clark gets a call from Perry. He's like, I know Lois is dodging me, so I'm gonna tell you what I told her. Get back now, or don't bother coming back at all. So Lois is like, oh no, it's Port of Metropolis, you know, there must be you know moving stuff by boat. Clark then tells her, he's like, Perry just called. You lied. And she's like, but this is important. You know, the people in Metropolis need to know. He's like, it's not about Metropolis. It's about you. He's like, I trust you. You use me and Jimmy just so you can get your story. She's like, oh, but we're a team. He's like, we're not a team. We're a couple of dummies who listen to you. And she's like, fine. I don't need your help anyways. And she grabs Jimmy and they leap. So Lois is angry. She's complaining. Jimmy's like he's like I know Clark and he means well. And she's like yeah, well, blah blah like, all this stuff. She's like what is what's wrong with your dumb, beautiful best friend? And then he's like wait, did you say beautiful? So, but then she realizes that Clark is always helping others. And and but then you know she's like certain thing. And then Jimmy sees like a busted container with like a robot inside because it's like one of the guys hit the wrong button before or something like that. And then Leslie sees him like, looking at them, so shoots, like, some tech gun at them and orders someone to take care of them. One of the flunkies releases a robot. She's like, did you just hit, you know, turn on a robot or something like that? Because she meant, like, someone go grab them. So Flip sees this, too. She rides her bike. She finds Clark, and she's, like, saying all this stuff. And then there's, like, this gust of wind when she, like, looks down, and Clark's gone. So he takes off to go help them. Lois and Jimmy are running between shipping containers. And then Clark comes out and he finds them. But then he gets, like, hit by the robot and gets, like, all these shipping containers get, like, like knocked out of the way. And he's, like, buried kind of under, like, some rubble. Then uh, he sneaks away. puts on, like, a firefighter coat and, like, hoodie to so he can take down the robot and hide his identity. Jimmy's, like, taking pictures. The robot stomps on on, on Clark, like, punches him. He gets up. He sh- shoots, uh, sh- shoots at Clark with lasers. He's dodging it. He knocks it down and he rips managed to rip off like this power cell on his chest. So Leslie's like, well, I didn't plan for this. And Badger just like, like runs away and she's like, fine, new plan. And then the rest of the robots, she hits buttons and turns on all the robots. Clark levitates up and like starts um, chasing him. Lois, meanwhile, runs to the control pad where all the robots are that like she's figured she can turn them off. Clark's, like, getting beat up. You know, he's even got, like, a like a black eye and everything. So, Robot's about to shoot him, but then Lois turns it off. But then the other robots sort of start heading towards her. Clark's kind of too weak. You know, he's st- struggling to get up. She starts hitting, you know, each... Because each one is, like... Each button is, like, on its own container, like, shipping container thing. So, she starts, like, running and turning them off. There's one left. Clark stumbles his feet. And then he does this, like, weird electricity, like, power punch. It almost makes, like, an S emblem on the ground or whatever he... he and he he, get, he knocks the robot down, and this was like a new new power for him too. So then Lois calls up to him. She's like, "Hello," she's like, "Who are you?" And then he, whoosh, he takes off. Then she's like Clark, because she realized that you know he's buried under you know all the stuff. So she's like starting to um, you know dig out stuff. Clark's actually like up in the sky, soaking up the sun. He heals a little bit. He hears Lois calling for Clark, and as she's digging. Then Clark walks around another, you know, container, and she hugs him. She's like, oh, "I'm sorry, everything like that." Then Jimmy walks up. He's like, "Please tell me," or she's like, "Please tell me, you got that?" He's like, "Yeah, I got pictures and everything. We have proof that aliens are real." And he's like, "When we show Perry, he's gonna." And Perry's they cuts to the office. Perry's like, "This is garbage." Lois like, "This is a story to century." And he's like, "What you brought me is a bunch of blurry pictures of robots falling." And he's like, "What on earth were you thinking?" And he dragged my new interns into this. Clark's like, "But she's right. It's the truth because you know we're a team." And he's like, all interns out. And he's like, we're not fired. And he's, he says that he'll run the story when they get an interview with their mystery man. And then Lois, they're talking outside. Lois is like, okay, so we still have a chance. We have to find you know, Superman and, and get this you know, story. And that's where the first episode ends. Second episode, Adventures of Normal Man Part 2, it starts off with Clark as a kid. Ma and Pa are digging in a cornfield and he's like, What is this? because um, you see like some like structure underneath the field, like maybe like a a foot, two, you know, two feet down. She and she's like, This is how you came to us. And Pa's like, the answer to everything you want to know is in there, hopefully, maybe. So it's it's like a huge ship. And so when Clark steps down and it like parts like it starts lighting up, and these other like little little devices kind of like pop up out of it. He touches one of them and it lights up, and then there's a holo figure that appears in front of him, which obviously is Jor-El, Starts speaking to him Kryptonese. Um, the other starts start parts start like floating up around him, like c- circling him, and then the ship starts opening up, and then Martha, you know, sh- you know she's on it. She like starts falling in, and you know, Jonathan's like like trying to help her up. Clark runs to save her, and, and you know, Jor-El's, like speaking Krypton. He's like blah blah blah, like, Khalil, Krypton, Khalil, Krypton. But then when Clark gets off the ship, it closes up. So then he buries it back up. And he's like, "He's like, I don't want to come back here again. And he's like, am I not your son? If I came from that, Martha's like, honey, no. She's like, you will always be our son. He's like, but I'm not human. Who am I? Cut to intro. Present, Daily Planet, Clark and Jimmy arrive early because Lois has a surprise for them. So they go, they're in the newspaper morgue slash boiler room. And so she's like, this is her new office. There's a lot of leaky pipes, maybe espessos, a bunch of, like, something falls on the table. She, like, kind of sweeps it off with the file folder. And she's like, I even made a murder board for our Superman investigation. You know, who is he? And Jimmy's like, I know who he is. He slaps this, like, flying saucer sticker on the board. And Lois is like, you think he's a plane? And Clark's like, no, it looks kind of like a bird. And then Jimmy shows this video, someone, like, in the shadows, like, in the dark, calling himself Flame Bird. It's, it's really him. Uh, he's, like, saying that, you know, this Superman is an alien. Because you see in the video, like, Clark walks out. It's like, why is it so dark in here? And he's like, no, no, don't turn on the light. And so Lois says, but, you know, she doesn't catch on. She's like, we need some something with facts, not uh, something from whatever Firebird is. And he's like, it's Flame Bird. He's like, it's my stream. He's like, I'm, I'm writing the truth about aliens. And I have five foulers. He's like maybe six if you'll follow me. She's like I'm not following your weird bird thing. And she says that you know they they she has a fire jacket. She up. She's like we could take this you know the jacket that he wore in, and try to find someone who can check the DNA if it, if there's any DNA on there. And Clark like notices like one of his hair is on there So he's like oh crap. Then he's like well there must be other stories that we can follow up on that Perry doesn't hate. And she goes on about how you know, if it wasn't for the Superman that they would be dead and, you know, he did good things and the world needs to know. And he's like, he starts thinking about it. He's like, yeah, you're right. The world doesn't, you know, they do deserve to know. And then he's like, oh, I'm not feeling well. So he's going to leave. He's gonna whatever. So Lois tells Jimmy that she's like, we're leaving too. She's like, we have to find that woman who tried to kill us. And Jimmy's like, what? So we see Leslie, she's walking down the street. She noticed like a couple following her. So she kind of runs into this alley. They follow and they have these like fancy guns. She like drops down from up above. She kicks them, knocks them out unconscious, takes like a calm, like out of the ear. She's like, I don't know who you are, but I'm sick of you sending your goons after me. And she's like, gives like a time and place to meet. So Clark goes to visit the farm and... Ma wonders, you know, why he's home and he says that he's fine, but he uses powers to save people and, and people they saw him, but they don't know who he is. And he says, he's like, there's this girl, Lois, and, you know, she's calling me Superman and, you know, he, you well, know, she wants to know who he is and he wants to know too. So he's like, I need to go back to the ship. Lois, uh, is there, she's walking, she refers to Jimmy, she refers to herself as Jimmy's boss. He's like, but we're both intern, you know, we're equals. And she's like, raise your hand if you've been here longer than, than Jimmy or something like that. And she raised her hand. So she wants, and she started talking about, like, you know, maybe we should check on Clark, get him a blanket or something. You know, if he's not feeling well. Then he's like, oh, you like him? And she's like, no, I don't like him. Well, I mean, I do. But, so so like that. Jimmy, then he mentions he has pictures of a boat, and he knows how they can find a murder lady. Clark is digging. And he's like, is it me or did, is it bigger now? And Martha's like, oh, it looks like it grew. Then he says, uh, or she's like, you don't have to do this. And he's like, no, I have to know who I am. And she's like, she says more to herself. She's like, I know who you are. You're my son. And she's like, I don't want to lose you. So then he gets transported inside. Jor-El starts talking to him in, in Kryptonese again. Lois and Jimmy find the boat, but it's, it's like smashed. And then there's like tracks going into this tunnel. And so they go in and follow. And then there's like a sensor. Be- at first, I wasn't sure if it's a sensor detecting them. Because at first, actually, at first I thought it was a bomb. It looked like it was a bomb, you know, beeping. But then I was like, well, maybe it's a camera. But actually, I think it was a bomb. So, Clark can't understand jor Then jor changes the room, changes, like, to space. And he, like he touches uh, Clark's temples. And then he sees, like, Krypton's son ex- exploding. And then he sees, <laughs> he sees Lara with the baby. And he's like, did you take me from my mother? And he's like, wait, are you? He's like, if this is my past then, and then... <laughs> <laughs> that is like Sailor Moon. <laughs> There's like all this energy kind of envelops in and his clothes change from like normal clothes. And he ends up with Superman's costume and the cape and he rises up he flies on to Martha. He's like, it's still me, Mom, I'm still your son and she's looking at she's like, yeah yeah she's like it looks like you could maybe use a belt or definitely some shorts. So Leslie is meeting with some guy she says that she wants him to call off his team or something like that and she's like are you black ops and whatever and then she mentions that she planted explosives all over the city and then uh jimmy and lois come out of a manhole she's like i i told you to come alone so they start getting a fight and they're both using like text you know weapons against each other she's like kind of wearing this like exo suit that has like stuff built into it i guess so Martha gets Clark some shorts and a belt to go with his costume. Pa comes in and he's like, "Oh, your he's like, whoa, it's pretty snazzy." He's like, "Your phone is, you know, buzzing." There's a recording from Jimmy and Lois, you know, whatever, stuff like that. You know, as they, they Jimmy also accidentally sent it. So Superman flies off. Uh, so then he appears. He he saves Lois and Jimmy. Uh, he almost like he's like Lois are, are lady or miss, are you okay? And then he covers up. Leslie isn't happy when she sees Superman. Cause he's like, you cost me, you know, whatever. And then the other dude like hits the back of her tech suit uh, with, with something like that. So she gets enveloped in this like electricity ball or something like that. And then it starts like seeping into her. Like her, her suit starts like kind of, so I'm like, is she going to turn into live wire or something like that? It's like, what's, what's going on here? Cause I don't know if Leslie Willis, I haven't looked it up. Actually, I just, just now looked it up. So, yes, uh, uh, Livewire's name is actually Leslie Willis. I just totally, I either never knew that or just totally forgot that. So, it starts, her suit starts like cracking or anything like that. So, this is probably going to be the creation of, of, of Livewire. So, Superman is like trying, you know, he, he says he's trying to save her. And because she's like, it's like, if you're taking me down, you're going down with me. But then he manages to pull off like the energy part thing down her back that's like powering her or something like that so she's like knocked out whatever and he like sets her down he checks on lois and jimmy but then he like looks back at at leslie and she's gone and then jimmy he managed to get a picture of superman so perry's happy and he gets on he's like stop the presses he's like new front page story so jimmy tells lois he's like you did it and she's like no we did it it's like we're a team and then he gets a notification that she's following his flamebird thing. And then he's, he's like, no, I'll, I'll only accept, you know, this team. If, if you call Clark and she's like, well, I don't know. It's like, what if he's not interested? And he's like, you just helped you save the city. You really let a phone call stop you. So Superman flies, go through the window to, at their apartment. And then when he gets into his phone ring, so it's Lois, And she's like, I'm at your door. He's like, Oh, just give me, give me a second. So he changes, he cleans up a little bit. And, he's like, yeah, you know, it was just something I ate. And he's like, I'm feeling better now. So she tells him about Perry literally stopping the presses. She wishes he could have been there. He's like, oh yeah, I wish I you know, could have been there too. And she's like, oh, you know, you just want to be on the byline. He's like, no, he's like, I, you know, there's no doubt in my mind that you'd find Superman. And, you know, she starts blushing. He's like, you're extraordinary. You know, you're smart and all this like that. And then it's almost like they're about to kiss. And then Jimmy like pops up. He's like, I have an advanced copy of tomorrow's paper. So Lois is excited. Uh, you know, it's like, I forget what the headline was, but Jimmy's like, read the byline. And she's like, by Cat Grant, Ronnie Troop, and Steve Lombard, what? So Leslie is strapped to a table. She wants to know, um, the, the dude talking to her wants to know what she knows. And she's there's like a collar on her neck. She starts getting zapped by it. And he, he says... He they mentioned a bomb and he's like, yeah, we already disarmed your bomb. And she's like, it was a distraction or something like that. Then there's like, she gets zapped again. Cause the guy's like, we want to know about the flying man. And then she's like, wait, he's not with you. she's like, who are you people? And the guy's like, we're the good guys. And you see like in a control booth, like Amanda Waller sitting next to him. So I don't know who this guy was supposed to be. I might've missed that. Maybe it's whatever. So it was, it was a good first couple episodes. Uh, i i like i like it okay and now the movie feature insidious the red door (laughs) so here's the funny thing about insidious uh so when the the trailer first came out i I know i kind of watched it and you know i saw the part where patrick wilson goes into the 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 cat scan tube thing or whatever and then mentioning how this is the final chapter or whatever and and I didn't want to pay too much attention because, you know, I try to avoid spoilers when possible. You know, I don't want to know too much information. So then when I went to see the movie, you know, I was going to see it Thursday night. I was like, oh, I should watch the last one because, you know, I, I saw in the theater. I started watching it and I, when it was on HBO Max, but never finished it. So I was like, I should probably, you know, watch The the Devil Made Me Do It, whatever. So I, I go to look look it up, and and first I'm like, wait, I'm like it, it didn't pop up right away. I'm like Insidious, but I think I typed in Devil made me do it, and then so I finally found it. Start watching it, and then I'm like, wait, wait a second. And I was like that didn't I? I paused it as I as I start watching. You know, I watch like maybe five minutes. I was like, did that say Conjuring? But this isn't. I'm seeing. Then I looked like no, I'm seeing Insidious, Insidious to Red Door, not the Conjuring. But Patrick Wilson is in both of them, so totally, totally just not paying attention, just goofing up, and and I was really bummed because I, I remember so I was like, oh man, I really liked like the you know the, the Conjuring movies and everything, so it's like it's it's a bummer if you know this is the last one. So, <laughs> so uh, Patrick Wilson is in both of these movies. Patrick Wilson, and I'm sure you probably are aware of this. You're like Tony, you're, you're such a knucklehead. So Patrick Wilson was in the first two Insidious movies. Uh, the first Insidious movie deals with Patrick Wilson and Rose Byrne's son. You know, this possession thing. Second movie kind of delves into more of uh, the past. And that, that there's actually stuff from, from Patrick Wilson's past and, and stuff like that. And then it continues the story into the present with him getting possessed by this evil spirit. The third movie, the third Insidious movie, is actually a prequel... It happens before Insidious 1. And then the fourth movie is this one lady, I forget her name, who's like in all these movies. She's like the medium or whatever, psychic. It's like the only story from her past. So Insidious the Red Door is really more like a direct sequel to Insidious 2. (laughs) So I watched Insidious 2 before I went to see the Red Door. And so I just totally got confused because Patrick Wilson is both of them. This has nothing to do with the conjuring (laughs) because there is a i'm pretty sure there's another conjuring movie coming out right oh my goodness so this movie i'll say it was a it was a decent movie i mean it wasn't great uh patrick wilson did direct it this is a directorial debut so i i I think he did a good job it was was it was it was cool um, it actually takes place 10 years after Insidious 2, which when I, I was like, holy crap. I mean, I was like, that's kind of cool. And it makes sense because I don't remember when when the second one came out. And, you know, there's been two movies since then. So it, it's it's nice in a way that it follows up with, with the, the characters. So it seemed like everything was fine. It seemed like, okay, yeah, maybe there's a happy ending, but of course there's not going to be a happy ending. So we get to find out that there's more going on. One of the things that I like about this movie and the other movies is they kind of do some stuff because, like, um, I'm trying to think of which movie it was because I think it was in the second movie. Or So there, there's a scene where uh, Patrick Wilson's character, as a kid, he's being interviewed and stuff like that. You know, there's supposed to be like a, a spirit or something in the house. And at one point, he gets up. He's like, I'll show you. And and then it, in the present, and in the second one, these two tech guys are like, wait, what's that shadow there? And then they digitize it, they amplify, it, do all this stuff, and it's actually adult uh, Patrick Wilson, Josh, adult Josh, standing there, even though the video is of him as a kid. They're like, how could that be? So I like that they they took something. I can't remember if that was in the first movie they did that, but that they they took something and they kind of messed with, they inserted something into the scene. They do that again here. Uh, There's so in in two. When Patrick Wilson is possessed and he's going after the family in the basement, or whatever, with a hammer, trying to attack them. We see that scene play out again, but then, like, someone else is there. And because and, and, there's a part where Patrick, will, and spoiler for two, you know, he's he's got a hammer raised over his head. He's about to smash it down. But then he, like, falls over. And in two, it seemed like because the spirit, the evil spirit in the spirit world was, like, taken out. But there's really, like, some someone else that takes him out in the real. So I like how they, they kind of mesh these things together and kind of... Give us the scene, the same scene that we've seen, but add another twist, another layer, another angle to it, even though it's it's original footage, but then they kind of magical editing technology, you know, able to to do stuff like that. Basically, aside from that, what this movie does, you know, we we find out it's, uh, you know, I think nine years, whatever. Uh, Unfortunately, Josh and uh, Patrick Wilson and and Rose Byrne aren't married anymore. The older son, he's about to go to college and stuff like that so things have been been kind of tense between be- between them uh josh patrick wilson's mom passed away so you know they, they go to her funeral and rose burns like you know why don't you drive him to school because you know like it's like the kid like won't even talk to him you know he just like puts on his his earpods he's going to drive them drive. He ends up driving them to school and, and there's like, you know, they're trying to get along. He takes them to this dorm room and stuff like that. But it's just like things are just tense and they kind of blow up at each other and everything like that. Uh, but then basically where things continue from there is the kid, he's an art student and, you know, he at one, he's has this like really supposed to be this really good art teacher and she so oh so one thing i i guess i should mention in case you haven't seen this sec like, what ends up happening at the end of the second one is josh and the, the older kid they 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 kind of like want to forget what what happened so they get hypnotized to forget like a year of their life which is kind of crazy so the the kid he he is told that he was just in a coma for this time i don't know how to explain it to josh or whatever And the cause of this, this is causing Josh to have like kind of fuzzy memories now and it's affecting him. And he's just, he can't focus on things and, and the distance or whatever. And that, that kind of broke up the marriage is what we find out. While the the kids in his art class, the teacher's like, she just wants him to draw. So she just wants him to focus in, go inside. She's going to count down from 10 and then they're just to draw, whatever. And don't lift, lift the charcoal until she says whatever like that. He ends up drawing this door, and I, I don't know if you saw it I think maybe you see it in the preview or something like that. so he ends up drawing the door because in the second one you see the the red door, and as he's drawing you know some blood he, he's because he's just like frantically drawing and doing all this stuff, he ends up like cutting himself and blood gets on on the picture and he kind of sp- ends up spreading it out later and everything like that. So he basically draws a red door, he kind of opens the door which sets things into motion, so this evil entity is going to come back, blah blah blah. It, it people are going to be and, and you know threatened and, and stuff like that. So we we get more of that, and I I don't know if that makes it sound really bad. It's it's better than, than I made it sound. And so you know the kids trying to figure out what's going on because you know you have the real world and you have the I forget what they they call like the other like the the kind of you know limbo place in, in between. But they have to find a way you know just to prevent things and and then you know Josh is also trying to figure out because he, he he goes to. His son actually is like, he's like, because when, when Josh explains how, you know, things have been fuzzy and everything like that, he's like, well, have you, you know, had yourself checked out or something like that? So he like goes to the doctor and there's nothing wrong, but he's he's kind of curious about like his, because his, his doctor's like, is there any like history of, of medical illness in your family? He's like, no, I like, I don't think so. And, you know, he goes looking and there's like question about his dad because his dad left him when he was young, but there's really, he finds out that there's something more and everything. So overall, I, I, I would say, you know, if, if, if you like the first two movies, and, and the, the third and fourth movies were fine. You know, I, I didn't love them, but, you know, I, they, they weren't necessarily horrible. But the, I, I think the first two were really good, or pr- pretty good, and this one con- continues the story with them. So if you've seen the first two movies... And you you know you kind of care about the characters or care about Patrick Wilson and Rose Byrne that you know it's definitely worth seeing this and this movie does kind of wrap up a lot of loose ends you know because again we find out more about Patrick Wilson's dad and and just like other stuff like what's going to happen you know where are they going to end up who's going to live who's not and and so forth so I I think they they do a good job just if this is the last movie and and I don't not really sure why they decided the last one maybe. Because you know the, I don't think. I mean, the, the other thing is that the main lady, I keep forgetting her her, her name. You know, she in one of the movies, I even forget like where, where it happened. She, uh, she, she dies, but they they keep finding a way to to bring her her back because that's why did she, oh, she? I think she died in the second movie. Yeah, um, during this you know this battle or whatever. And it was her name, Elise. So the third movie actually takes place before the first one. So they can have Elise, uh, Lin so they can have her character. And then the fourth movie, I think I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly, it goes into Elise's like when she was younger. So, you know, she's, there's like flash, you know, so she's whatever. I, so I think at a point where they're like, well, what, what more can we do with this insidious franchise? And is there any other stories we can tell if we've told everything? And then you know, for them to decide to finish the story on on the Lamberts, I think that that was smart. You know, Because if they're like, okay, we, we've done all that we can do with this, it doesn't really make sense to continue it. Because it, it'd be one thing if they didn't kill off Elise. I don't know why they decided that. You know, if, if they had her, like, helping other people, investigating other things, and yeah, you could do that. And, you know, they, well, not really. Uh, you know, there, there is a way that they could kind of continue things, but it, I just think it would be too cheesy. So for them to say, okay, let's just wrap things up. We're going to end up tell the story about the Lamberts, finish this up. I, so I, I think that was a good move, and it was decent. It was satisfying. You know, it's, it's not super great. Uh, there, there were some cool visuals. I really like the art scenes and like the, the the stuff that the art teacher was saying. You know, as as me trying to attempt to draw and stuff like that. It's just like some of the stuff that the teacher said, kind of like like ouch, you know, kind of kind of cut close. You I, I totally get, I totally agree with what like she was saying and everything. But and it's just like seeing, you know, so I thought that part was cool. There's some other cool visuals, some of like the the spooky quote unquote spooky stuff. Um, there's a there's a lot of jump scares. So if you like that stuff, because, you know, people go to these movies to be scared. So there are moments and and sometimes you like you kind of start at least I do start kind of like squinting your eyes. Like, okay, it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. And then it comes. And it so kind of like startles you. I almost feel like there might have been too many jump scares. And there were some other characters that I didn't really care about. You know, like at, at the college, there's this this kid at the fraternity. I don't even care, and and I understand the point of that, that how intro- the introduction of this fraternity dude and with something that happens at the frat house, how that kind of leads the story, you know, as, as for for like the kid to the the go down his path, his route, his journey, whatever. But. Yeah, I mean, it's just there's little little minor things that I didn't, didn't care too much about, and there was one little thing towards the end that kind of made me roll my eyes. It's it's nothing like hugely major to the story, but it's just like really, it's like okay, you you yeah you, you okay. I don't really want to give anything away. Well, okay, I'll just say one thing I didn't like is they you know they 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 bring in. Elise, again, there's one point where they're watching a video and, you know, a YouTube video with her talking. and stuff. So it's like they find a way to bring her in the movie again, which I get it. It's like, why did you kill her off? And there's like something else is just like, kind of made me roll my eyes a little bit. But other than that, I mean, it, it was a decent movie. I'm glad I saw it. I'm glad I saw it in a big screen just to, you know, take in all the visuals and everything like that. Um, not my favorite movie of the year, but, it, I, you know, it's better than, you know, there's there's been worse, I, I would say, Maybe. So it's it's a good movie if you care about the Insidious stuff. If you haven't seen the other Insidious movies, you definitely need to watch them first. So it was a it was a good movie, not great, not horrible. So if that that says anything, um, but I think that's all I'm going to say. I don't think I have anything else more to say. That is going to be this week's podcast. So big thanks to Dave McPhail and Andrew Logan because they are big supporters of the show. You can be a, a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gman from heck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. Currently talking about weird wacky silver age Superman comics, They're just bizarre covers and it's always fun to see like how they explain this absurd Superman killing someone or someone doing this or whatever but if you can't commit to monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash G from heck. You can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or two. That's K O dash slash G man from heck. What is going to be next week? Next week is mission impossible. What's it called? Ghost pro. Uh, no, um, whatever it's called, the mission. Po- I don't even know what number mission possible this is. I don't even remember what happened to the last mission possible. Maybe I should watch that before. Uh, so yeah, um, I, I'm excited to see it. You know, it, it has high Rotten Tomato scores already and the, the movies are usually crazy, you know, over the top, lots of, you know, action stunts and adventure. So it, it should be good. Uh, so we'll, we'll see as so I'm looking forward to that and then, you know, more secret invasion, more adventures, of Superman, more Hijack, more crowded room, and maybe that's it. We'll see. So that is going to be it. My throat is kind of <laughs> I'm giving out right now. So thank you for listening. I hope you are doing well. I hope your summer is going well. I hope you are finding time to do fun things which I need to do. And I hope you remember to be good to each other.